0: What's going on, people? Thank you very much for downloading and pressing play on this, the first ever episode of the Over the Hill podcast. Make sure you're following and subscribed to us on iTunes and Spotify to ensure you never miss an episode. We're going to kickstart things with our very first special guest, the one and only house heavyweight, Sire Says. You are
1: now listening to the Over the Hill podcast.
0: Welcome, welcome along. This is this is episode one, but it's the second one that I've recorded. So, uh, episode one of the Over the Hill Podcast is what it's going to be called. Um, and my guest today doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm giving him one anyway. Um, someone that inspired me at the start of my journey through um, through not just being a DJ but a proper DJ and and getting more and more into house music, and someone that I listened to. We were on the same station when I was super young, um, and someone that I'm really really happy I'm going to be able to sit down and have a long conversation with um without interruptions of you know being in a club environment or something like that um my guest today is one, none other than the one and only mr sai says Sire, how are you mate
1: good afternoon jay it's
0: lovely to see you albeit through the uh, through the medium of zoom um,
1: yeah it's better, better than nothing
0: yeah it's interesting that we've 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 um sort of stumbled upon this time to do this podcast because it comes at a time where We've all had a lot of positive news over the last couple of days with regards to things opening back up. And I've seen just even today as we speak, you've posted on your socials about a lot of the events that are going to be kicking off again. And, you know, how many bookings are going to be flooding in now that, you know, we've kind of got dates where we're looking to be back in with the rest of society. So how, how has it been for you? I know it's been up and down the last year because there were some events last year and whatnot in a in a kind of a half halfway sort of sense. But how was the That's last it. how has the last year been for you? Um with regards just to just to maintaining a sense of normality?
1: Um pretty crazy to be honest. Tough at the at the start to adapt to it. Um but good. It, it's been actually just crazy. It's been like a double-edged sword. On one side, it's been obviously I've lost all my gigs basically like all most of us did um, DJs that do working DJs you know especially in the summer when I'm traveling a lot yeah. like because I do this for a living I've got the whole year scheduled out with my agent and stuff like that not every day of the year but you can look ahead quite a lot so to have all that go boom not just in your own country but it's not like then you could go all right well I'll just crack on in Ibiza or I'll crack on in Croatia or I'll go to Italy or it, it all was gone it was all gone so at the start it was um it's a very difficult to try and adapt to it. Um, but then eventually there would be like small little things. I was doing the odd like paid gig with Soul Heaven, but we were doing like a live, um, one of these like monetized live stream things of people called Clubify TV with <clears throat> like big names like uh, Barbara Tucker, the shapeshifters, gym Star, people like that. So there's stuff like that. Um, then I was doing like a lot of these branches that came about and social distancing things. And it's good because, again, there've been it was money in the pocket, but it makes you realise as a DJ what you really started to do this thing for. And it's not always the money, even though it's my livelihood. It's like you crave that, that energy that you have with the people, going to a club where people can dance, playing music to people who are dancing, not just sitting down and being told. And some of these brunches I was doing, it was like people started to get up and dance. You'd literally have bouncers getting proper Aggie, telling people to sit down like the dance is going to get locked off if you don't. Well, See, the thing
0: that, is, that's, that's, like, that's their livelihood and the, and the bar manager's livelihood and stuff like that. And it's, it's one of the things that, I know we'll, we'll probably talk about him a little bit on the podcast anyway, but Jalen hit me up um, last year right. about coming and doing some of his events. And it was one of them things where I really want to come and play and I want to be part of the team and I want to hang out with all of you guys <laughs> and everything else, but I want to do it properly. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. I'm not one of these people that I I understand the need for the restrictions. I understand the trouble. Like my experiences with this past year and COVID and everything else is, it's not been great. Um, So I'm, I'm quite cautious in that sense anyway, but I didn't want to come and do something that felt half-hearted because I want to give the best of me to, to an event with people that I I enjoy being around, you know? So to be able to come and do a night with the likes of you, Eamon, Wes, who I've known for a long time and obviously Jay as well, it's like, I want it to be, proper and, and, and what you were saying about like you know the vibes not really the same because people are sitting around and stuff and i'm just i just can't wait to see how happy people are when we do go out
1: yeah uh, i do mean don't get me outside. wrong i'm not gonna lie i have done parties where there has been dancing again yeah. because i'm a worker like what i do Like music is my is my um like i'm basically self-employed and music is my is my livelihood my full livelihood and a, a high percentage of my earnings yearly earnings is done through DJing yeah So obviously there's the production aside and the other engineering the other stuff that I do that's related to, I also work for a record label I have my own record label now so I've got different strings in the bow as such but the bulk of the money comes from DJing and also when you're in my position with my agent and things like that our best work is done in the summer because we're traveling and we're out of the UK right so I'm getting better money in When I go to Ibiza, when I go to Croatia, like I said before, if I'm going to the camp, wherever you go internationally, it's better money, better deals. So, you know, it was a big loss. But like I said, on the other edge of the sword, it gave me time to um, build things that I've been wanting to build for years that I hadn't had the opportunity because I'm so busy as a DJ, especially in the summer that... I haven't thrown myself into launching my own record label to starting my artist agency um, and to things like that. And also to, I mean, I've always released music, as you know, but because um, I was so busy DJing, I'd never had like proper time to throw myself in to be a producer. Even though I have released music for years, as you know, as aphrodisiacs and as myself, but during lockdown, I've been more productive as a writer, as a producer than I've ever been. So I now have this whole body of works and the record label and an agency that I started in lockdown. So, you know, even through all the shit that happened and all the madness and, you know, it's not just, oh, no, I don't want to come on your podcast and sound like I'm moaning because um, I lost all DJ gigs and I lost my work because everybody else was in the same boat. But more so, I lost friends, like, during COVID. Died, do you know what I mean? To, to COVID and not just the COVID, to other stuff that just all of a sudden just passed away like that. And like my good friend, Philash, God rest him, that passed only a couple of weeks ago just out of the blue like that um another friend of mine two weeks before phil leon who was a part of a, a brand called nyamba deep in london um he again just passed away just clicked like that so you know i don't want to be sitting on here moaning about um what i lost in a sense of dj gig so i know like during what we've all been going through for the last year and a half people have like had some a lot worse things happen you know i've seen a lot of, the probably the worst part of all of our lives, isn't it, basically?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's, it's interesting, your attitude about it there, because it's like, you're still being able to take chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad. Do you know what I mean? You're right. being able to, <laughs> like, you're able to sit there and go, right, this is the situation I'm in. Let's not fret and let's not moan about it. What can I do to better myself when I come out of this? And I think a lot of people have gone down that road in in whatever industry they're in. Um, And I'm really, really happy that you have finally gone and got yourself your own platform to do your own thing. Because I know, and and we'll touch on your history and music and stuff anyway, but I know that you've spent so much time working for other people's labels uh, and and doing stuff for other people. Sure. You know, and I, I always felt that you... Knowing your skills, your talent, the way you are just around people um, and your, your music selection and everything else, it's like, I always looked at it as like, why were you never bigger? And I think this could be, for me personally, in my view, this should be and could be a, a real good opportunity for you to, to go in a, not in a different direction as such, but you've got more tools in the box now, where it's like, right, this is my platform, we're back to normal now. Watch me, like, and I'm really, really hopeful that this this new label, which again we'll go into more detail on, but I'm I'm really, really happy you're doing it, and I'm really hopeful for you. And um the Thanks, music in itself it means a lot to me, mate. Like, I was talking to, um, do you remember Pure Cut P? Yeah, he rang me the other night. Obviously, he's my best friend going way back, and he said to me, he's like, bro, he's like, you know, the only person whose music I'm listening to at the minute. And I was like, no, nah, who? And he was like, Sire, and I was like, all right, That's it's interesting awesome, you say that because <laughs> we're are P, gonna bro, have a catch up. P. Yeah, so. <laughs> But, but again, like, I mean, for me, the best record of last year was, was the track with, um, was the track with Raph, What in the World? Wow. I mean, it's, it summed up, you know, the mood at the time. It summed up what was happening at the time. Like oh. that guy's so fucking talented, bruv. Like it's, it's mad. Um, so I'm really happy you're doing it. Um, how many guys have you already got signed? Cause I know you've, you've got records ready to come out and your own stuff, you know, now and you've only just yeah. had the first one out. You've got like, is it like a oh, is it a Santa sack full of records that are ready to go? What?
1: Yeah, basically, I've got to say I've been again. I, I you know it's quite overwhelming to hear you talk about it because <clears throat> you know I've known you from a long, long time. Obviously, we'll talk about it later. But like, going back to like World FM, Big Up M Tech, and all them people. Yeah, yeah. That is a long, long time ago on my journey. So for you to say what you just said about you know, all the other people I've worked for. And now this is my time and coming out of lockdown, bam, bam, bam. Everything you said there has really resonated. It's very, very true. um But it's been good because obviously all them other times I've learned from the best to now take that into my label. I've been working for Defected for the last like seven, eight years with Soul Heaven because obviously they own Soul Heaven. I'm an A&R manager at Soul Heaven. So I've learned from like the best label that there is, in my opinion, in house music for like the actual whole machine of it. But um yeah, going back to my label raising records. Yeah, I've got basically the whole year stacked out now because what it was, it was just going to start out as just a platform for my own label, right? So all the projects that I've been doing with people like Lifford, right? I don't know if you've heard of Lifford or you know who he is, the singer. Yeah. He's famous for singing Please Don't Turn Me On back in the day with Arthur Dodger, but he's one of the baddest singers in the UK, in my opinion. Uh, I've got tracks with Raph and the House gospel, guy from the House Gospel Choir um, signed a track from... The New Tech Music Guys, which is my mate, DJ E, Lee Marks, and his dad, Kenny Reds, rest in peace. And they've done a track with Robert Owens, which I signed as well, which I remixed, actually, and then they asked me to put the remix out. And then I'm also teamed up with a lot of um, London artists, right? So I'm really passionate about the homegrown talent. Not in, like, you know, a territorial way or anything, but I feel like sometimes, like you said about me, the English, the London talent doesn't get as pushed as much even sometimes by our own, we don't push our own. So I'm quite passionate about like the spoken word and poetry scene in London. I've got a lot of links into that. So I've done a series of tracks with um, some incredible poets. One that I've had a release with already, a girl called Ayaba, um, the next one called Natalie, Natural Right and another poet called Yane. So yeah, it's all like kind of like spoken words. So I've got all the singing stuff, then like a little bit of the spoken stuff and loads of remixes since I've started the label I've had a lot of people come to me and want to get involved it's been quite overwhelming and asking uh, to remix stuff so I've been very fortunate I've been able to give out remixes on spec to some up and coming producers as well as like some established ones so I've got a good good catalogue man really nice catalogue of stuff that's going to come is and the next?
0: Is the next one Wes Wint? Is he coming up next?
1: Yeah. So the next one will be Wes, and like I said at first, when I was when I was doing it, it was just going to be a platform for all my stuff because I've got loads of my own projects, and um, we've got a track with Teslia as well, a girl called Teslia, which is going to be part of my Mind State project, which we've done. What in the world with? So my Mind State project that's going to live on raising records as well. But what I'm trying to do with a label, like I said, it's it's basically going to be like an old school vibe where it's not just I'm not just taking tracks and pissing in the wind and going, oh, I'll put that out this month and done. I'm trying to build something in-house. I want to build a stable. You know, it's like back in the day when you buy a, a, a record uh, vinyl, there's certain labels like had a little bit of a stable. You knew that this one was going to come. They're not nervous. You know, with Soul
0: Channel, uh, Unrestricted you Access, all them labels, yeah.
1: Yeah, they all had certain artists. they would all be Mr. V, Alex Alvarez and that on there. Or if you went over to Strictly Rhythm, you knew that it was more this sound. And it was kind of like a stable of artists. So that's what I'm trying to build up. And also for them to, for all these artists to link up with each other. So someone to remix one person's project and blah, 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 you know. So that's kind of happening now. Yeah, so the next one, going back to what you said, is going to be the Wes Wimp track, which is a cover track of... um, it's called You Will Know, the original track. It was done by BMU, a.k.a. Black Men United. Yep. And this was like a big record in like 95, I think, or 96. Don't quote me on that. But it was basically 42 of the biggest R&B singers, male R&B singers came together to do this. I think it featured on a film like Jacob's Lyric or something like that. But um, you had like, like everyone, like D'Angelo wrote the song. And then you had like um, Tevin Campbell, like uh, Usher, Blackstreet, whole loads of names. I've forgotten so many of them. But um, check it out, Google it, BMU, you will know. So basically, Wes has done a cover of it um, with three singers, two guys from South Africa, Earl and Nixon, and a guy from London called Jason. uh, Jason Nicholson Porter, incredible singers. Like, Wes has really, like, he's gone in. This is gonna be a big, big record. Like, you're gonna see some of the biggest DJs in the world, like, pick up on this. He's worked with sessioned uh, the session player for the track is a guy called Ziggy Funk, who's quite I know a Ziggy is yeah. Yeah, he's an incredible musician. He's played like live bass on it, live guitar, played the keys, um, produced by Wes. And it's all been done during lockdown. So like the track's been sent to South Africa, one part, Johannesburg to be recorded, then sent to Pretoria, then it's come to London to get recorded. So you're hearing like three male singers on the track. It's a big production man. So um yeah, that's going to be the next release after the, after my
0: my new release, which came out the other day. Yeah, what a tune. What a tune. Thank you. I was talking to, um as as I was saying earlier, you know, I recorded a podcast yesterday with, with DJ BQ from uh, True FM and we were talking about people, like you say, sort of like when you're talking about uh, looking after London artists and stuff and kind of paying it forward, yeah. it to, uh, you know, back, paying it forward and paying it back to the roots that that you come from. And I was saying like, your tune came up because I was like yeah my mate Sire like, I'm doing a podcast with him tomorrow I could hit him up easily and say like oh can you send me that tune but I, I went and bought the tune on Traxels because it's like sure su- support the game do you know what I mean like, pretty, like be with your people pretty You sure know, that, so, but bruv I, I, do you know what it is I heard the clips of it and I was like I need it anyway <laughs> just I just need the tune and I sat and listened to it about three times just just on repeat yesterday just let it go through me and I was like yeah it's another one in it like it's, it's Raph again like that guy I, I'm a massive house gospel choir fan um right. i've been to apart from this past christmas obviously because it got cancelled i've been to house gospel choir christmas party for the last four years Seriously? in a row yeah every man. time and i've Ooh. spoken to raf a couple of times on instagram um and a couple of the rest of the team as well and i've just I, I went the first time i ever went i was at a time in my life when things weren't going too great and. Right my friend christy like she said look i'm gonna go and see these guys i like, do you want to go out and get a bit of food and and we'll go and see them and then every year after that we went to every single thing that they did in london we yes. saw them at jazz cafe one time um they'd done that um bts in the park at high park and then we That's went right. to their their other christmas party then i saw them at south then i mm-hmm. saw them again on christmas like uh, bro, I've, I've been i've, I've spent untolds going to their gigs and i'm yeah, a massive no, they're fan they're amazing
1: man. they're absolutely like i just they're just a force of nature they yeah how I met Raffy he came on my radio show.
0: On, I was going to say, I remember seeing them coming on on my show. I saw Cal put up yeah. the videos and I was like, I really, really hope that that's a more long-term thing. And then when I saw he was working with you, I was like,
1: yes. I know, it was wicked. It was like, the way it happened as well, like they came on the show and it was a Christmas special. It was around when they'd done one of them performance that like you said, like the end of the year. <clears throat> and um, I think like maybe eight of them came on. So Natalie, big up to Natalie Maddox. She's the boss woman of the, of the house gospel choir. She, brought them all on. And, um, like, there was Raph, Natalie, um, Liz Nightingale. There was um, Zaza. Was Zaza there? I think Zaza there. Um, Mons and a couple of other male singers. CJ there as well. But then when they all came in, imagine we're in, like, the My Soul studio, which is quite big now, but not big. It's, like, a commercial radio station size. So they came in, like, eight of them. So there's, like, the way they're positioned, like, they're in like twos or they might be in threes. So like different harmonies, they yeah, different ranges in different places. And I was in there where the boss, Gordon Mack was in there. Um, and I had like a couple of my little cousins with me and a little girl that used to work with us, like a, um, like a college junior, she'd do the social medias. So it was quite busy in there, you know, but when they started singing, now like you've seen them live, right? So imagine when you go and see them live, they move you, don't they? You're just like, they blow you away. They leave something in you that you can't explain the energy you can't explain the energy. So imagine now coming into a room and having them in the room with you. And then obviously I'm, I'm interviewing like you are now with the mic and headphones and Raph and all them lot were like literally in touch and arm distance of me. So they done all the big songs like Most Precious Love um, and something else. And then for like, then they have done Gabrielle's. So Natalie was like, oh, because it's Christmas time, we're going to do Gabrielle. She's like, Raph, come forward. That was the first time I'd ever seen or heard Raph, like really and he came up forward and he sung gabriel and that was the night i kind of like fell in love with his voice fell in yeah. love with his love at first sight and because he the way he sung gabriel and i was it was something in me i was getting goosebumps thinking you know what i need to work with this with this guy
0: and yeah. at this point i will say if anyone does want to check it out there is a full video of it on youtube as well if you just search for house yeah, of Post- fire I right. says it's up there Do you know it's interesting yeah if you I, could
1: link that into your podcast somehow that would be dope because it's yeah, a yeah, I will. thing to watch like it is really amazing to watch they go in. Like it is, the energy is just, I can't explain it. Like I work with singers all the time, but um, when they all come together, it's like a tidal wave of energy because they're all so amazing on their own. Like one, 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 they was so amazing. When they come together And the way, Natalie makes them work. Like she is just energy. level. I remember
0: like- with um, with Raf, one song I heard him sing that made, it just made my hair stand on end. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He sang, it was, they did a gig at a jazz cafe. Um, it was around Easter time and he sang, it was almost like an a cappella version of Michael Jackson rock with you.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah I've heard him. Oh that. my know, God. He really goes to high notes. and that, Oh,
0: yeah. bro, it's, 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 yeah. you do. You, you fall in love with a voice like that. And it's, yeah. he's, he's someone that he's perfect. He's perfect for a lot of different music, but I think proper soulful house music that, yeah. that, that guy is, is, is nailed in for him to, to do massive things now. Definitely.
1: He's very unique as well. Um, a very, very unique artist. It was like, from when we, when like, I didn't even like, I wasn't even on and When, when they done that performance in the show, it wasn't like I was like, oh, we need to work together, man, let's swap numbers or anything like that, right? I was just in the moment enjoying that performance and I felt quite special because it was like almost personal. There was only a few of us in there, like I said before. Anyway, they'd done a few more songs and they went off and then um, the track that I'd done Like, probably my best-selling track, well, my best-selling track that was from a couple of years ago now called With You, with Cleveland Jones, that came out undefected defected and so, Evan. (coughs) Excuse me. They, um, like, it was in there that we were going to do a follow-up track, basically. And so Raise You Up, I wrote that, the music and everything, for Cleveland um, to sing on. (coughs) But then there was, like, a bit of a U-turn there where Cleveland was... um, he just released a jazz album a little while ago and he needed to focus 100% on that. So he was like, look, sorry, si, I can't do it um, for you at the moment. Um, and, I, you know, I love that when artists are honest, yeah. you know, taking it to like football in terms, it's like, sometimes I compare music to football all the time. It's like, unfortunately, I'm a Tottenham fan. But when Bale wanted to leave Spurs, you get Spurs fans are like, oh, you know, what's he want to go there for? He needs to step back. You know, when, when, you want to fulfill your dream. Like his dream was to play for Real Madrid. It's like what Harry Rednap said, you can't keep him somewhere, force him to stay somewhere where he doesn't want to be. So when Cleveland came to me, I was quite um, heartbroken at the time because I felt like I'd been searching for Cleveland all my life. As a producer, he was the most amazing singer. And like what he'd done with with You, the song that we created, Like again, like I told you, it's my best-selling track, but the feedback that I still get to this day from that record, the way it's like touched people's lives, it's deep. It's like even weird talking about it. So when he then like kind of said, look, sorry, si, I can't do any more with you for now. I've got to focus everything on this jazz album. And I was like, I'd written this whole track for him. And when I'd done With You, <clears throat> I'd already had the music done. So I didn't know of him before that. He came on after the music, you get me? So now I already knew the magician he was. So I knew what to do when I was writing a new track for him. So, um, yeah, when he went off, I was kind of... I'm a big believer in when one door shuts in life, other doors open, and you can't ever be negative about anything because if you're negative and you start turning into a wanker about things, then that door won't open for you, mate, and you've got to be ready to receive it with, with goodness. So then... Probably one of the ideas I get when I'm having a shit because I get some of the best ideas when I'm on the toilet having a shit. Sorry to lower the tone,
0: but... Nah, bro, it's, it's a legit thing. It's like, when, yeah. you know, when you've got time to sit and think for 10 minutes, do you know what I mean? It's like... Exactly, that's it. Yeah.
1: I mean, you're squeezing mine out for 10 minutes, yeah. But um, I take a lot of notes when I'm in random places, put it that way. And then I remember I just had this epiphany one day and I was had the, the chords in my head and I was like, oh, I can't believe Cleveland's not going to do this, but... And then I, then I was like, oh my God, Raph. Yep. that guy from the house gospel choir and then it, what we did we did what in the world first and cleveland done backing on that track on what in the world you got cleveland on backing vocals cleveland jones who done with you you've also got um liz knight and girl from the house gospel choir on backing vocals and raf himself um so yeah that was like we done that put that out that was under my mind state project that went out my mate paris's label that was before i had my own label that went out on Opom. our people our music big up to paris and it done well do you know what i mean we had a great reception from that record like from everybody again because it was it weren't about oh let's see how high this can go in the track chart or what dj is going to be playing this was our message and raf's message to the world really singing about you know what in the world is going on but we got to stick together you know sometimes it's got to rain for the flowers to grow again if there's yeah. no rain nothing's going to grow so if you listen to the lyrics it's quite deep like that but um, Again, we had some of the biggest people play that from Louis Vega playing it live on Worldwide FM to all the way through to everyone around the world. So it was, um, and Raf's the sort of person, again, like with Cleveland, like I'm not messing around anymore and jumping about like I used to, working with all these different energies and different people. When you lock together like that with someone like Raf, I believe anyway, um, that I just, he's the sort of person that you just want to stick and embed in with, with for a bit and try and make a body of work. So you said, he hasn't got, like, a big body of works in Soulful House music either. And exactly what you said, you hit the nail on the head. Like, first time I heard him, I thought, right, this geezer can come into the Soulful House world and make an impact. Do you know what I mean? Like, Cle- Imagine when I worked with Cleveland, Jones, who'd done With You, he'd never done a Soulful House track. before. And I was like, blood clot, this guy, when he comes on the track, if I get it right, he's going to mash it down. And, and, like, he is a supreme, like Raph, he is, like, a supreme vocalist, Cleveland. It's funny, because when I pitched the... Um, <clears throat> the track to like Defected but I was playing it to other people around me like I played music to whether it was Neil or my mate Orin that I'm close to from Bugs in the Attic Afrinor, and they all thought it was a was a woman at first they're all like oh my god listen to her she's like and I'm like mate she is a he yeah. and it's like six foot four or six foot two three big unit of a man but he sings in like he's not a straight for singer, but he sings high. You know what yeah. I
0: mean? It, it's, 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 it's a beautiful tone in his voice as well. It's like when, when I saw, um when I saw, I can't remember if it was you that posted it or if it was Raph that posted it. I, I follow both of you and that, but I looked at it and I was like, Raph, I was like, oh my god that's raf and i was like let me hear this and then when i heard it like the music i was like yeah the music's great like this is this is good house music and then when i actually listened to the lyrics i was just like jesus like this it was perfect i remember where i was i was on a i was on a bus going from fulham coming home and i was sitting on a bus wow. and i was just flicking through spotify trying to find it and i found it and i was like wow like, and i played it the whole way home like the whole bus journey, 20, 20, 25 minute bus journey. I was like, no, repeat. It like... <laughs> just went back and back yeah, and yeah. back. And I it's, it's, I started my um I did a guest mix for Jalen on uh, my house, and it was what? the it was the first track that I played on the guest mix because it was just up. like I can't I couldn't think of a better way to start the set. It's just like oh yeah. I, I I don't want it to be a blow smoke up people's ass podcast but yeah that that sure. for me was the track of last year and i'm yeah. so as i say i'm so happy you're doing the label mate and and Thank best you. of luck with it but talking you know from from the present and from the future going way back yeah. in the past we did touch on it um the back in the day it was like 2005 i believe when we first met in the world fm days um yeah, so World FM, for, for people who weren't around at them times, was basically a lot of the old Flight FM guys after flight got shot down after you know various I- incidents and issues that um, you know caused a lot of unwanted attention from authorities. Um, World FM was born, and uh, there were quite a few really, really good DJs on there. And some of the people alongside yourself that influenced me were the likes of Soul Sessions, like um, Charlie, Roy, uh, and Richie. Um, and I remember mm. me and John used to do the Saturday afternoon and I, I'd I'd listen I'd listen to Charlie and on like when I got back and then I'd listen to your show and it was just just purely influential man I, I, those days for me were just like I mean it's a form in time when you're seventeen 17, 18 anyway but to have you guys around and listen to what you're doing and then go into some of the events and hearing the music you were playing I was like this is me like I'm kind of mm. dropping uh, the more electric side of house and and the garage and stuff and this is this is me from now on and yeah. I'd always grown up around it because my dad's a DJ anyway. Um right. So I'd always grown up around like proper house music throughout the 90s when I was a kid. Um so it was always in me but listening to you guys was so influential. Um with regards to World FM, what, what what why were you on there and where were you before that on radio? Did you do a lot of <coughs> pirate before then?
1: Yeah, I done quite a lot of pirates before that like yeah, quite a few. I'm trying to think. Was that 2005?
0: Was it? Yeah, it was around 05. Yeah, I, got, I turned 18 in 2005, and I was I remember being there around then.
1: Yeah. So yeah, like over the years I've done like so many different pirates in London. But how I got to World FM was probably because I often done like bits on Fly FM because I'd grown up with M Tech. Big up M Tech, man. Yep. <clears throat> Um, I won't say his government name, even though people, <laughs> <laughs> people, know it's a common Irish name anyway. It's probably a million of them, but yeah. So, M Tech, big up M Tech and the full family, little Sonny. Um, I've known him like literally, like I said, some school days, so it was his new concept. And he's kind of like to give a little breakdown of M Tech, he's like one of these die hard pirate radio guys. <laughs> This guy will never let it die. And for me, the pirate radio thing, no matter what anybody would tell anybody out here, is still the it's still maybe not as influential, but still a very um, important like foundation pillar and core. Well, okay. I've had this conversation.
0: I've had this conversation a couple of times <clears throat> recently on I was a guest on another podcast, and right. obviously yet yesterday, you know, the next episode I'm gonna be dropping goes deep into it. Um and right. uh, we were just saying yesterday that. If it wasn't for Pirate Radio, this this is the level that it goes from, right? If it wasn't for Pirate Radio, Stormzy doesn't headline Glastonbury. That yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the evolution, yeah. right there. No, like, you're right, exactly. You're and, right. and you know, there's so many people. Like, there's so many, um, even big house DJs that went commercial and and had massive tracks. Like, it doesn't come along unless people weren't, you know, on on the tops of the shops in Crystal Palace in the '80s setting up LWR uh, and Golden wasn't doing his yeah. thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah um, no, you're right. And yeah, I'll just, again, it's one of the reasons I wanted to get someone like you on here, because I know that you've, I remember I used to listen to your show on Unknown, like even after World FM and stuff. But I was always interested as to, as to how you were, how you got into the World FM scene, because... Yeah, I was was through
1: was, but I'd like I said, I'd done like, so I wasn't, it was weird because I'd like floated around between all different kinds of stations. I'm not going to start naming names, but I had like little bits of like, not beef, but it was weird because... I always played house as well right so sometimes them stations there's certain ones I was like kind of around it was straight garage on these stations they didn't receive house too well in them days like everybody had jumped on the two step garage thing or even before the two step thing so I like flitted around in between places I used to do the guest show but I think like Flight FM, because I'd done the odd little thing, because obviously Tech runs it, right? And then obviously you had like TNT and all them people, rest in peace to TNT, you passed, and they were kind of like affiliated with Dream FM, I think, back way back. Yeah,
0: Yeah, Sub-Zero, I remember, was was a Dream FM. Yeah, sub is a
1: good friend of mine as well. Big up Neil, man, Sub-Zero. So again, Sub-Zero, Tech TNT. I grew up with all them lot from school days, so I was always kind of like in and out. Um, But I never played like drum and bass or garage. I was always like playing house. So... But yeah, so how I got into World FM was through Flight FM. Just bit. But I remember when Tech came to me, like I said, he's a diehard radio person, but he was the first person, right, back in them days. Imagine you're talking 04, 05, that was thinking about broadcasting radio digitally through the internet, linking it up to like, well, there wasn't even, Facebook wasn't even in them days, you know? No, right? it was it
0: was in its early, early infancy. Early. No one really had it
1: no one really had it, it was like if anything you know it was like, my
0: space days bruv that's when that was yeah
1: MySpace or like the clubbing thing there wasn't even resi wasn't even around there you had like dsi which is don't stay in.com, showing my age now if anyone knows that um
0: is it nothing sorted as well i think was just around an M early. yeah day? nothing sorted. That, that
1: came after it but like i say it was it was um but i'd never sort of understood this concept of like see there was a couple of stations that i don't get shows on like, i think maybe don't quote me, but I think maybe Push FM or something like that were quite early on in the internet online days back in the day. And a few people I knew from the London circuit used to play on there. But at the time I was doing World FM, it was, it was just after that or around at the same time that I got onto Unknown FM, which was... Um, no, sorry, I left Flight FM and I went somewhere else, a station called Mint FM, Yep. where I was at for quite a while. And they used to run a big thing called Peppermint Parties. Um, and there was again a lot of people from around my area. And um, but then I kind of like when I went off and got my first proper residency, and I got in with um, the first record label I worked for, which was Fanatics, which was run by Neil Pearson and Aaron, Aaron Ross. And um, <clears throat> they was kind of all, all them big London DJs, them times uh, they were all like Booker T or people like that as well. Um, the Richie Fingers is all people like this. They was all on like either House FM or. Unknown FM. They were quite a serious house station in in in, yeah. in as such. So um, yeah, I eventually went from Flight FM, so World FM, Mint FM, then on to Unknown FM. That's where I kind of like really, I, I, I had a little name already. But <clears throat> being on there, I got a really good show on there as well. I was on there like Sunday afternoon. Sometimes I'd go out and play gigs in London with like neil's and all the Flashers and people like that. And then. <clears throat> not even have sleep, just be going onto the radio show. Sometimes I have a couple of hours Or That was when I was in my party days, man, when I could roll through when I was younger. Yeah, but I,
0: different I, now, isn't
1: it? I always respect MTech because he was the first person that was always on to me about, oh, this is how radio is going to go. And I'd be like, what? Fucking through, it, through a browser, listening to it for a browser. But, yeah. you know, he wanted to kind of break away from running across rooftops and shit like that and doing that whole like cat and mouse with a DTI you know what I mean? Taking the rigs that, this is, you know, As it is, as you know, a part radio station, it's long. Anyone that knows about it, you know, you start getting too old for it. And Emtec's, but I've got to say, people like Emtec, some of these big radio stations in London, I've got to big them all up. They're still out there. The likes of the Cool FM's, Flex FM's, whoever's like, people have put blood, sweat, tears. People have died for this shit. Do you know what yeah. I mean?
0: Yeah. Like you
1: said, you take that away and, um, I remember the government have wanted to take this away from one day, from when it first started, LWR, Gordon, Crystal Palace days that you obviously know about. They've been trying to take it down from then. They never wanted this to to happen. Um, And imagine if they had done, like you say, half of dance culture in especially London, it would have never been born, mate. You know it's, I
0: mean? it's, it's a very there's loads of pirate stations in different cities in the UK but it is a very <clears throat> London thing um, yeah. I know I know they started on the ships in the ocean and stuff but London was the perfect vessel for pirate and, and one of the reasons being is it's kind of bowl shaped so if you were able to get a decent setup, up high enough, like yeah. yeah on like Crystal <clears throat> Palace or up like Gypsy like, Hill that's
1: what it was all up there yeah, yeah
0: or up like even at Highgate I know that Unknown were actually coming off of Highgate at one point that's for right. quite a while mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. if you're able to do that with London being as bowl shaped as yeah. it is you're hitting
1: everything bro. i'm not going to start naming names but like at one point in my career like a little bit before like the years that you were saying when like when i wasn't out there obviously it wasn't i wasn't doing it for a livelihood it was like early 2000s yeah late like i had a flick of the millennium i was heavily involved in a couple of stations i said i'm not going to name names but i was living that life like up on rooftops there yeah, breaking through um hatches because what we used to do is to always have midpoints and um yeah so we're double stacking places, I mean, that's like an old, I think Cool FM or something, they're probably like the first people with the double stackers. But obviously, again, like, you know, 20, 30 years on, people were emulating what people were trying to do. But <clears throat> there's one particular block, I don't know if I'm going to name it or not, because it might be obvious to who it was, but um, it's like what you said, exactly what you said. So London is a bowl, right? So if you can get into a, a perfect point, but where this point was, was... um it was actually situated on one of the main a roads that runs through London. So it, it had like, you know, like where the crow flies or whatever they call it, just a direct thing. <clears throat> a Very, very, very high building. And um, yeah, I've been involved in all sorts of pirate radio stations, man. So, but it gives you a good grounding, you know?
0: Yeah, it does. And it's, it's, it's something I don't think is appreciated enough in the mainstream You know, like where where does you know you're dancing to this house music in a club? Where does it come from? You know, I remember when I remember when uh, MK came back, or you know, he he never really went away; he was still working. But I remember when he sort of came back, and everyone's like, "Oh, you know, who is this guy?" And I'm like, "You danced to Push the Feeling for the last fifteen years, and you don't know who he is." (laughs) Like, it's 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 the underground homage that. I don't think gets, gets spoken about enough and that's, that's something I'm kind of hoping to do with this pod, you know, and yeah. ho- hopefully it opens a few ears and a few eyes and gets a few more people yeah. interested. Um, I that's know she- how I started, like for me,
1: Pirate Radio Station is how I started as a kid, not even like, like a very, very young teenager. I think like the first Pirate Station that I ever was put onto was like Green Apple, if you've ever heard of that, or something like that. And then from there, I used to listen to a station called Touchdown but this wasn't even playing house, they were playing like hardcore and things like that. And then, like, from around there, like, after like touchdown, I think that was 94.1, but Green Apple, people that like, know they'll know. And then you had like Weekend Rush and all that. But, um, but it was more like I'm saying, this was like 1990, sort of, yeah, yeah. So just at the turn of when house is coming in late 80s. Like, so it was still kind of like not happy hardcore, but what we call old school now, or whatever, old school hardcore. So it was like that. And then I was like a massive, like, a two, in the early 90s, I was two, fans of two big stations. One was Girls FM, and that used to play, like, straight US stuff and house that I'd never heard before. And I only listened to it because Huckleberry Finn used to play on there. And then he was from where, um, Shepherds Bush, right? So near from where I'm from. And then there was, like, Don FM was another one that I was a big fan of from young Don FM.
0: Yeah. Don was legendary, and it's um, it, 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 it's an interesting connection. I don't know if you remember Rage FM and Teen Rage. Um, yeah, it's hard to go to
1: Teen Rage. With, yeah,
0: I'm I'm actually going to try and get. Um, yes, my dad's best mate Sean. that was one of the geezers that one of the two brothers that ran oh. Teen Rage. So I'm going to try. Hopefully, Sean lives in Minnesota now, so time wow. difference and that allow him. Yes Listen, mate, I'll hopefully tell be your, able to get those guys. Mate, so. yeah.
1: Sorry to cut you, but tell your dad's mate next time before I forget. I went it's weird it's all them stations I'm naming because we were too young to go to rave, so I used to go to team rave. so in them times we used to travel we used to have it in like Tollworth Recreation yeah. you know Yeah. that is yeah, on the yeah. Like A3 going out towards up like past Kingston and all that and then you'd have like they used to do it in Epsom now I used to go there because one of our friends from when we were young is a guy called Stevie A MC yeah. Stevie a, yeah big up Stevie and he was literally like probably a year above me at school or maybe two. So when I'm like 13, 14, we're going to teen rage, right? And they'd have like, at Tileworth Recreation Centre, and like you're listening to Don FM, whatever, Touchdown, boom, boom, boom. And then like one of the guests would be Rat Pack. So they'd come on and be doing like, Searching for My Rizzler and all this, yeah. But Stevie, because he was a very young MC from, he was on Pirate from when he was like 13 or 14, he was like up on stage with... Like, the Rat Pack. So all the big people that we looked up... You know my best mate, Tanner, innit? You know Mark yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Me and Mark go back, yeah.
1: Mark Paul, the DJ, yeah. So, obviously, he's my best mate. So when I was like, I've got pictures of us at, like, 13, 14. Like, with our leather jackets and all that going, and our flipping, like, Icarus and air Max and shit. Do you know
0: what's crazy about it is when I was on World FM, um, obviously, I, I knew my dad's mate, Sean, from when I was a little tiny kid. But I didn't, like... And I knew he was a DJ and I knew he was the one that kind of brought my dad along, but I didn't realize right. like just the involvement. I remember going around, I think it was like maybe just before Christmas. And Sean, we went around to his brother's house and we had like a big family dinner and whatnot. And, and his brother Carl said to me, he's like, oh, so your dad says you're doing a bit of radio and that now. He's like, what's World FM? And I was like, oh yeah, it's this guy. And this guy. He's like, oh, Neil, I know Neil. He's like, I've known him since he was like 13. I was like, what yeah, are you talking about?
1: Sub-Zero played early for them. It's
0: yeah. Like, and do you know what he'd done? He yeah. said to me, he said, watch this. And he went in a drawer and he pulled out some old VHS tapes and it had right, Team yeah, Rage bottom. written on it, and it was the old Team yeah. Rage videos of Stevie. And I was like, I'm, yeah, like, I'm now working with all of these guys. And Stevie they guys were like, I'm and like,
1: born and raised and I live in Kingston. <laughs> yeah, <Steve. laughs> Stevie was, I remember I was so young, and I was looking up on stage and thinking, raw, there's someone I know up on stage with Rat Pack and Kenny Ken and all these DJs, si, Psy, Mickey Finn. They used to all come down there. Like, ask your people, like, trust me, Tollworth Recreation Center, right? was where it went. And then it started getting so mad there because you'd have all people that wasn't from Tullworth and that all going there. And then they moved it. They tried to move it out further to a place called... I know because I used to collect flyers as a kid. It was at um, Epsom in a place called the Rainbow Centre, which used to be a fucking... which is a leisure centre. Mate, trust me, man. People was in there like bunning weed, doing fucking... Like, trust me, I am not even want to start saying all the madness, but yeah, it was... Teenage, <laughs> um, just, just crazy. But like I said, that was my early... But for me, right, imagine I start going to Team Rage and I'm like 12, 13, right? Listening to pop. by the time I was 14, Team Rage was just, to me was a little kiddies thing. I was out like in Astoria and clubs like that. Cause I was when I was 14, right? I looked a lot older. I still had like little stubble and shit. Like, I could and when I was 14, I looked eighteen. So I was out raving from as soon as I got the green light, dressed a little bit smarter. I was always be with like older people. So I'd get in the club all the time. And I'd go to like like one of the first raves I ever went to was um in Astoria, a club called, a thing called the Orange Club. People that are old might remember it. It's like an old school thing. Um, not Clockwork Orange, the Orange Club, right? It used to be in Astoria. It was like a kind of, again, like, crossover before, they'd have like a, just before hardcore and all that would come in, you know? I'm trying to think what year it might have been. So probably even about 90, what, like 92 or something like that. That's all crazy. that might come from, so just the generation I missed was that M25 orbital illegal raves, like everyone meeting in a phone box, waiting to go, and you'd hear all your older cousins and people going to that, but you wasn't quite old enough to go to it, but then you started getting the tapes sent back, yeah. right? You know what I mean? And then it was like, you know, going to things like the Hell of was fantastic. So it was like kind of like, I came up through like that pirate radio into a little bit of the rave scene. It wasn't until like the mid-90s when I proper started going to house places
0: you know it's it's mad the way things influence you like I mean one of the reasons my ears sort of perked up when you mentioned Don was because where I grew up I grew up basically on the exact same estates from where Don like originated from and where France came from like not so much Rohampton but Southfields Southfields, so where there's a certain station that's gone legal now and um yeah that they actually broadcast still now from the old Don FM block um in Southfields and like it's just I remember going up on one of the blocks once, and we were like, "Ah, oh, bro, we must have been about 12 and we weren't yeah, going yeah. up there because it was mm. like we didn't really know what the, the pirate radio was. We, we listened to it, but we didn't yeah, know yeah. it come off the top of a of a roof. Do you know what I mean? We were like, "Whatever," but we were climbing up to go on the roof of the building. And I don't know right. if they had something set up where they knew people were going up there, but I remember a couple of geezers Definitely. in hoodies coming up and going, "Get off the roof! Get off the roof!" We we're just little kids, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. ah. And then later on, when you look back on it in life, you realize you know what the fuck you were doing. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Yes. Like, over there, like if anybody knows it, that part of London, southwest London, where that like, you're talking about, Roehampton, it's basically just one big council estate full of blocks. So there's yeah. like, you've got Danebury, you've got Alton, and it's just big old towers. And again, it's on the A3 again. So it's like up high on the A3, shoop, straight yeah. across. So yeah, big up all the original Don FM 1057 105.7, massive man. Again, it's been like I, when I was a kid, traveling around on the bus with my Walkman on. I used to listen to Don FM religiously. I was into like um, people like Atmosphere and King Size, but again, it was like hardcore, big up Nasty, uh, Nasty V, and all them. Like man, people yeah. like Runners. So yeah, they, you know, they paved
0: the way for so many different people. I mean, there, there was even definitely. people like people that came through on them days. People like Ed Rush and people like that that went Ed on Rush, to do really yeah, yeah. big things. And you yeah. know, like looking back at it, again, it's something that um, there's a few other even
1: like one of Chasing Statuses was come
0: from Don FM yeah it's, it's one of them things I'm, I'm looking forward to getting in touch with a lot more old pirate radio heads and and sitting down and yeah. having a conversation and the next episode that I'm dropping after this one is DJ BQ who ran True FM and um he I've never ever heard him speak about it a lot of people don't even know he was that involved and we had a really candid conversation about it yesterday and it's, it's fascinating i mean they were a bit later they were like mid 2000s but it's 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 a piece of history that i am just i'm an anorak foresight so i'm just like i want to chronicle it like it's yeah. it's something i'm passionate about but moving forward um you mentioned a couple of names there and it's i remember you gaining a lot of traction when you did start playing uh sort of like as the third not a third member but almost like the the preceding act for fanatics and, and all of their yeah. events and stuff. And I remember Mark telling me at the time, he was like, Brother, he's like, Scire is absolutely smashing it at these events. And like those guys for me, they actually one of their records is still probably one of my favourite house records of all time. And that's the chat with Don E. Good thing.
1: Oh man, <laughs> yeah. That was the first. Was the first record I worked on for the. Label. I think it
0: was you that sent it to me because you said to me like, was "This it? is something." Yeah, I think oh, you said this is something that we're doing. Yes. Yeah, and even to this day, bro, I'm just like, ah. Oh. But what was what was the experience like working with, um, you know, Aaron? Obviously, is is who he is, but Neil Pierce as well, who I know is is just a don for for the house yeah. scene in the UK. How was, I mean, how did that connection come about, and what was it like working with them?
1: Um, Yeah, brilliant. I learned a lot from both of them people, man, like, so much. Probably, like, most of the things that I know, that I got taught, like, came from maybe only about a few people. And, like, them two was one of the two. The other two, sadly, they're not here now, and that was Phil Asher and Paul Chubb Anderson. So, yeah, but um, Neil and that, they taught me a lot, especially to do with, um, like, the record labels type of thing. But I was only really doing... I started right on the ground up, like with that record that you said, good thing, I was just like a runner, so I will just go in between the distributors and shops, just dropping stuff off, collecting a bit of money, boom, boom, boom. going in between, but it's brilliant, because you start right down on the road, basically, so you know how it all goes on, back of vans, you know what I mean, going into the shops, um, and yeah, I kind of learned that from it, but also, being in the studio, I learned a lot. That was when I first really started going into the studio and sitting down next to them when they were working on like their album. They worked with some incredible artists, man. Um, so, yeah, I was just kind of like in, in the studio learning, <coughs> not touching anything, just in the background, um, you know, absorbing it all. Um, and then obviously working from there, We the first residency that we had was at a club called Neighbourhood, which was in Labrook Grove on Acton yep. Road. It was subterranean back in the day any of the older viewers who remember Subterranea as one well. of the subterranean is a legendary club in West London like I said right at the top of Portobello proper Labra Grove spot and then um, I think Ben Watt bought it and it was neighbourhood Ben Watt used to run Buzzing Fly um, and that so then Fanatics were doing an event in there, right? <clears throat> so it would be a residency once a month, Neil and Aaron, and then whatever guests would come. And we had like some wicked guests in there. Like anytime a US person was over, they'd come over. Um, but I was there, like again, just given a chance as a warm up DJ, really, as a resident. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, they would listen to a couple of my mixes. It was Neil. I always knew Aaron because, again, Aaron comes from that Pirate Radio scene. Not a lot of people know this, but Aaron used to be called Stamina. So, anyone who knows about that Southwest London pirate scene, there was a little spin off. Some of the Don lot started a station called Scandal FM way back. They had people like Aaron, um, Stevie A, like shout out to Stevie A, you know, like Nut Nut, shout out to Nut Nut if anyone remembers him. Um, Ruck Spin is another Aaron shout out to. Him. So, a few little fraction of them kind of went off, and I think Aaron was on there. I think Aaron might have even like been on Don a few times. He was Stamina, basically, that was his name. So, I knew him from, from there um <clears throat> but like we weren't tight 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 like that it was more the the jump on as up as their resident more came from neil so but i'd given him a cd at the time like a girl that i was seeing had, had known him and stuff and you know, she was always telling me like oh, you need to push yourself you know you're better than like this and that you need to like be up here with these lot and i would be like what's she talking about She's like, let me give it a CD, I know Neil, and I know this. And I'm like, oh, well, I know Aaron anyway, you know, from back in the day. But I'm the sort of person, and I still am like it now. I never push myself onto people, yeah? And, like, you know, some people used to say to me sometimes, oh, that'll hold you back. You've got to, like, be running people down and be more, you know, not beggy, but more, like, put yourself out there more. And I do, I do put myself out there, but not in a way whereas I'm, like, running people down, begging them for a set, or can I play here, can I play there? Like, And I'm not saying that you know me well. I'm not an egotistical person, and I'm not, like, saying this in any other way but i don't go out there searching for bookings and asking people for bookings i'm very blessed jay that you know since these early days that you're talking about and since that residency that really blew me into the world that when i then became a sole heaven resident started becoming international because there's a level to that story that you're starting with there's like levels to that so i never forget that you know what i mean so i'm very lucky that you know, I still work it a little bit, but I don't go out and push myself on people. And she was the one that was like, listen, you need, Neil needs to hear this CD that you've done and blah, blah. And he heard it and he said to me, look, we've got a residency coming up. Um, that the CDs don't be really liked it. It's funny, I'll never forget. He it actually, one comment he stays with me, he said that basically I played the, everything. The CD was wicked and it, I showed, you know, like progression in the mix and all the stuff like that. But um, I was playing my music too fast. And it was like one two six or one two seven BPM. But I was much younger then, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like when you're younger, you jack your music up a bit. He's like, no, you need to like, <clears throat> you know. So even as a little thing like that taught me a lot of things, like just to slow your music back down to what it was actually made up. Don't need to jack it right up sometimes to get energy. But yeah, getting that residency there at the Neighborhood. But the thing is, when I went in to do my first gig with them, I warmed up for like the fanatics and whoever the guest was. I think it was Halo, who was a producer from California um i think frank roger might have even done it with him actually this is before frank was like a big name and um i remember like i put in a guest list well not a guest list call it a guest list, but it's nice like your concession list of like 120 people and maybe like 80 of them got ticked off so if you're a younger dj and you're like you're a good dj you can play music so you've shown yourself that as like you, you know you've shown the people that but then You're bringing 80 people through the door as well. You're like a wet dream to a promoter, as you know. You know, it's like London. Unfortunately, it's like that. You know, it shouldn't be, but it is. You can't just think, oh, you're going to get booked because you're a great DJ that plays great music anymore. Some people will book you for that, but there's a lot of promoters, name, no names, a lot of clubs. They're booking young DJs on the back of how many tickets can you sell, not how good you are or what music you play or can you rock a crowd. It's like, oh what, you can bring twenty of your mates through our oh, extortion of thirty pound door price, yeah. You come in. And and but
0: they, you know, they've got a stage in, in London where um probably it was probably uk wide to be fair but they they got a stage that promoters stopped being promoters they just started being organizers and then they were relying on djs to do all of the work for them um which you know i mean i get it if that's the hustle that's the hustle right but it's it's something that always really disheartened me and 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 stopped me from really pursuing it as a career because i just hated that atmosphere of like as you say, sort of like having to sort of put yourself on people and I need to sell this ticket and that. And yeah, I I wasn't really feeling it, but um, yeah, I do remember, I think I went to one of the neighbourhood parties after, after Mark told me about it, but I think, I think it was a little bit later on and I'm not sure you were actually there. I can't remember, but it's was a long time ago and I've I've done way too many um, South American supplements since then to remember
1: anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we moved anyway. We moved to a club called Herbal. It got quite big at Neighbourhood and we ended up moving to Herbal.
0: In Shoreditch, yeah. Which
1: was yeah, quite a legendary club in Shoreditch just on the Kingsland Road. And um, again, like we'd done parties there for years, man, as fanatics. Like, we had everybody there from like... So many different names, Osan Lade, Spen, um Soul to Soul, DJ Deep, like Victor DuPlay. I could just go on all day. We had so many. And then we what we did, we partnered with BBE. So BBE used to do the top floor, BBE records, and fanatics we'd do downstairs. So BBE, like some days you'd have like spinner upstairs of Victor DuPlay, and we'd be downstairs of like me, Neil, Paul Travel, Anderson, God rest him, and Osan You know, we used to have it round. Those like the golden, golden days. It's like um, that was when the Soulful House scene was like thriving, thriving. And obviously we were Soul Heaven residents as well. So Soul Heaven was like the main Soulful House night at Ministry of Sound when you had like Masters of Work coming over, all the big acts. So, um,
0: yeah, I think Soul Heaven was just consistently... Uh, an incredible brand like not just right. a label not just an event but just the full package like even even down to the merchandise like I wish I still had a couple of my old Soul Heaven t-shirts and you know
1: <laughs> ones like I know, I know I, I, no, I wish... saying man I, I ain't really forgot any man I know those t-shirts used to be dope yeah and you know d-
0: them times were incredible what as I say what colour did you have? Uh, I just had the black one with like a sort of yellowy Go- gold kind of thing I yeah yellowy
1: that. gold yeah that's
0: the one I mean. yeah mate yeah I, I remember them days well um,
1: like getting on to Soul Heaven for me was a big a step up in my career because From working with Neil and, like, um, the Fanatics, just being a warm-up, that's where I really went into the world. And I kind of, like, went off and played for people like Bobby and Steve, got my first gig with Paul Trouble Anderson. That was quite a big moment for me.
0: Was that around the same sort of time that you started? Because I remember... I hadn't seen or heard from you for a little bit. And obviously we didn't, we don't, we're we not like best mates don't talk all the time, but it's like every now and again, I'll see you on the socials and that, and we'll like maybe message back and forth. And I remember there was a time I didn't catch you for a little bit. And the next thing I saw, I think it was, what was the brand called? You were playing out abroad somewhere. And I think it might've been Stereo Sushi or something like that. Right?
1: Yeah. And I was Please like,
0: yeah, yeah, I was like, what the fuck is like, what's going on here? Like, you just seem to okay, go yeah. from simmering to just like, Boom! Was that around the time that the international booking started coming a little bit more often?
1: Yeah, well, it was mad because I was so often resident in ministry, and then, um, yeah, it just started like again that platform just puts you onto. Like when I went in there, like the the lineup was quite big. It was like Andy Ward, Phil Asher, um, like Aaron Ross, Rude Boy Rupert, people like that as the residents so I came around at quite a good resident people and then yeah from what Stereo Sushi was like Head Candy's um sister label so Head Candy had gone off fully commercial um and Stereo Sushi was like their sister label that was a bit more deeper and soulful so I kind of bagged a bit of a residency at the same time um then because I used to play for a party that was called Kinky Malinky that was quite big as well and I'd travel around them a little bit so yeah it was just good timing for me and um like I said, our music's taken a bit of a knock because it hasn't always been that popular. You know what I mean? Do you know
0: what's it's interesting you say that? And um, I, I sat there on Friday when I knew your track was coming out. As I said, I jumped on track source and I grabbed it and I, I sat and went through, um, I do it every couple of weeks where I'll go through track source and just see, well, even though I don't play anymore, I'll still collect music. Do you right. know what I mean? Because um, yeah. I, I do the occasional live stream from home um, and I like to play up to date if I do it. So, yeah, um, yeah, I was going through and I noticed in the top 100 over the last couple of years, it's just mainly just been house or, you know, maybe yeah. tech house. I noticed the top 100 on Traxels this last week. Bruv, there is a bare Soulful House. Like It is yeah. inundated of Soulful House at the minute. It's like it feels and some of the records that I've been grabbing and. It, it kind of feels like that again. Like I feel—I don't know whether it's just because I'm paying a bit more attention, which it possibly is, but I also—I don't know. There's something brewing there where I'm listening to some of this music, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is this is at the level where it should be," you know. And mm-hmm. uh, th- those days, though, I mean, those days with the music, like from, as you say, like 2004 up to like, you know, the next four or five years, some of the records that were coming out, bro. Oh my word! Yeah, like, so, so, some I, of the I music, like. Some of the music from like you know motherfunkers, Mark Evans, all that kind of crew and
1: Quinton Harris. Oh, yeah.
0: bro, you you couldn't turn around without like hearing another Quentin Harris remix yeah. or record, you know. And Dennis Ferrer was it, it, untouchable at that time. Yeah, and then obviously loads of the old school artists like Your Masters at Work and stuff were still bringing out great records as well. So it was a yeah, great it time. Loved. It was a great <laughs> yeah, time. And a I, I remember being um, yeah, I remember being on my my Fat Beat show, and. Yeah. uh, I, I was never never short of a record to play. Do you know what I mean? Like there was never there was never something new that
1: week, you know, like, and
0: yeah, yeah incredible <clears throat> times, man. Incredible I think times. they
1: also from that era that you're talking about, it's like when little eras come around like little pocket eras or whatever, it's like you can pick that record out now, right? And listen to it now, whether it's final, whether we go and play it in a club or whatever, and it's kind of stood the test of time. Those sort of records around that era with ve- tracks that, Timeless in a way, not always classic, classics, but like, look, for example, like Dennis Ferrer album you just mentioned there, you could probably pick any record off that Dennis Ferrer album and it would still hold its own out there. And whether that's something like well, not the obvious one that says something like Church Lady or something like Funny or yeah, Touch for, for me,
0: do you know the best track on that album was probably Run Free, yeah,
1: look, it with Katie Brooks, yeah. That was yeah. oof,
0: oh my god! That album was like life changing for me, man. I, did I, he passed away. He did, and do you know what's interesting? I don't know how much of this is true, and maybe maybe someone who's listening could could uh, could speak on it. Run free. I remember when he did pass away. I remember I was I was quite bummed because obviously he was like a great talent, and you know his music meant a lot to me. Um, I, I remember reading somewhere, possibly in an interview or a blog somewhere, that Run Free was written by Dennis about kt brooks and he didn't tell him it was about him and he just gave it over and and just said like you know here's the lyrics that that was the story that i heard and yeah. i hope it well, is Dennis true because it gives song, me goosebumps. yeah, yeah I, I hope it's wow. true because it gives me goosebumps thinking about it so um oh. yeah but yeah that, that album was was fantastic and influential um so obviously by this point you're 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 so heaven resident and stuff when did the transition to, to coming in like working for them full-time happen
1: um so what as you mean like on the label side of stuff, yeah, on, on,
0: on the actual label yeah
1: yeah that was like probably about six years ago now maybe a little bit longer when we merged with defected again because they were back in that golden day that you said aaron so aaron was was the head of a and for so evan when we used to release all the compilations and all things that like stuck pev and ever um like i can't do without all that early pev and Everett stuff Trying to think what other stuff was on there. There was um the, the whole dope stuff, the catalog's just ridiculous. So yeah, Aaron was like the guy there signing all the stuff. Then they left Defected and however they had like a bit of a split for like maybe four or five years. And then they came back. And then in that time, then Neil went in as so then Aaron went over and worked as Defected, who's got like Simon Dunmore, one of the most influential ARs alongside Defected, right? For years. Um and then Neil was running Soul Heaven so that over next wave of Soul Heaven releases the A&R he was signing a lot of stuff and then I kind of like when Neil moved on and then when we they done another joint venture again with Defected then I went in as the A&R manager for this wave that we're (coughs) in at the moment which has been about five or six years now so um yeah that's when I first went into like the label side of it but apart from that I've always been like a resident for Soul Heaven and I've been, again, lucky that I've been there for so many years. From when I started off as one of the younger ones at ministry, I kind of worked my way up. And then <clears throat> we've got an international roster. So every year we play at like Ocean Beach is the residency for us in for has been for seven years. We've got residencies in Croatia at festivals at ADE, which is Amsterdam dance thing. So again, I'm blessed that I can go around to different places and represent. And it's an honour for me because before I got playing for Soevan, back in the day, I used to rave at Soevan as a raver go there and watch go there to watch masters at work to watch frankie knuckles and then like fast forward a few you know years later um you know i'm on the flyer with these people and stuff like that so it's just like you know i did just to believe this you know i'd go to ministry sometimes and, and like you say that you know, we was all under the influence of different substances or whatever back in whatever days but sometimes i'd stand there and say to friends of mine i'll be up there one day and i'd point at like the box or the booth in ministry and um you know, people might just think you might be again under the influence, or you might just be getting a bit. It it does it, it means you've got to believe it to, to achieve it, haven't I mean, you? Got to see it. Yeah. Got to, if you don't see, if you can't see something as a possibility, then you're less likely to do it, aren't you? That's the way I think.
0: It means a lot when when you um, when you achieve things like that. I remember something that was was a really big deal for me was I've warmed up well twice now for Grant Nelson, like right, wicked. A, a musical idol for me, and I also got to play at um an objectivity night which obviously dennis's night um right. at, at egg i was in the other room it was just i think it was just him and andre homan in the main room but yeah um but yeah like little little things like that being able to e- even be on them brands like when i was a kid when i was like 18 on world fm not really knowing what i was doing to them being able to go and competently play on the same event as these people for me was like raw like so i get exactly what you're saying and what you're saying is it's, it's on an even bigger scale so it's like so, i've got goosebumps for you mate <laughs> thank you is there was there ever a time um whilst you were working with soul heaven that you actually had to stop and sort of look back at everything that you had done uh, and just just take it in because for me that would be a big thing like i'd have to sit there and just go like rah, i'm actually doing this you know <laughs> them
1: yeah, sometimes, like, I do, I'm quite a reflective person, but, you know, like, I'll be travelling a lot with them. Sometimes I'll be and, in different places, and I always like to visit the sea wherever I am. And I'm quite spiritual like that. I like to connect to the sea, and I manifest and put out a lot of stuff when I'm around the water. So I'll be there, and, you know, I was, sometimes i just go and sit on a rock and just put my feet in the water and just be present and just think, like you said, just realise. But it is sometimes hard to put it into perspective, um... But I don't like to sit there and dwell on it too much, especially like when I've noticed myself in booths. All of a sudden, you realize shit. I'm about to like come and play after like Kenny Dope or something like that. that I've done quite a lot, or Terry, or some whoever. Even Paul Trouble Anderson, like people are like when you start realizing shit, especially Paul, because when I was coming up in London, he was the man. He was like the, man, the DJ that everyone looked up to. So when you start getting amongst them, but like if you sit and dwell on that too much, you're going to feel like. I don't know. For me personally, you just got to get on and do it. You know, you've got to realise that, you know what, well, you're good enough to be here amongst them. So you're not here for no other reason than that. But um, I did used to reflect sometimes a lot, like I said, when I'd be there on a beach or I'd be on some random rock in like wherever, by the sea. And I'd think to myself, rah, right, you know, and I don't, you know, I'm very, I don't believe in luck. So I just, I'm very grateful for the blessings and for the journey. Do you know what I mean?
0: yeah and it's it's something i've always noticed of you and as i say you you do tend to pay it forward i've known over the years um it's one of the reasons i, I really I, I i was quite eager to put you with Jalen because i know you can wow. take him under your wing and 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 show him things properly i know you've done it with other people as well um i know you've got a great relationship with uh, the likes of ellie Cox who's a quality young yeah. dj as well and she's been coming up for quite a long time yeah Dylan, um, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I get entirely what you're saying, mate. And, and I know it's all, it's all genuine and legit. You mentioned, um, you mentioned a guy there whose, whose name you've mentioned a couple of times. And I know we only, we, we barely spoke before we did this podcast. And I just said, look, you know, I'd like to, if possible, sit there and ask you about your relationship with a couple of greats who have sadly left us. And yeah. one one that was um recent that we'll get onto, but but Paul Trouble Anderson, um, who passed away, I think it's, it's been a couple of years now. Um, yeah as you say, uh, an absolute linchpin of the London house scene. And, you know, we were talking about them Crystal Palace pirate radio days, and I know there's plenty of stories of Paul being a guy sitting on the roof, making sure nothing happened. Um, Yeah.
1: But what was... Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: (laughs) What was your first sort of encounters with Paul and and how did that relationship grow with you guys? Because I know that, again, you know, we talk about being you know almost idolizing these people and then you know becoming a peer and, and working alongside them what was that like for, for you with your relationship with Paul?
1: Yeah man it was like just epic really it's just crazy it's hard to really put it documented it, but um, like firstly Paul's was, um, was very important became very important to me like starting off at the end like before he passed he's a very important person to me not just as like a musical mentor inspiration or a guide or whatever almost like Phil was as well, came out of music and almost like a life mentor, almost like a, you know, if it wasn't for people like Paul, I probably wouldn't have become a dad. I That's how deep it was for me. Do you know what I mean? He came out of music for us and towards the end of his life when he was battling with cancer, I've never seen anybody battle. I've done a lot of gigs with him. I travelled a lot of the UK with him um, in IB for quite a bit into Croatia. So I spent a lot of time with him. But starting at the beginning with Paul, again, he was someone that you looked up to. I remember the first time I ever saw him in a club playing was when i was hadn't ever heard like vocal house or like garage what they called it then because i'd come from that rave scene like i said before a lot of the clubs i was going in, and i won't say the reasons why we we're in there but it wasn't for musical reasons so it was a lot of the harder boom 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 bangy clubs right so the main room was always like tough house almost what they would call hard house now, or whatever, yeah. House wasn't broken up in these days. So anyway, without naming names or places. So now I'll name names. This one, this one used to be the Coliseum, um, in Coliseum, right? Way before Garage was in Coliseum. Is There a club in there called the Satellite Club. The main room was all banging hard house, like people like Craig Demet, Graham Gold, Dave Lambert, all these sort of people, if anyone knows. But then in this little side room, <coughs> which we didn't really frequent because me and my friends, we were there for other reasons in the main room. Um, but every now and again I'd dip into this little side room and this little side room only held like 200 people. The crowd was a lot more cultural. There was a lot more black people. Um, the crowd was a lot more mixed, yeah, and the music was a lot more groovy, soulful. I'd never heard house like it. It was almost like disco and Motown on a house beat. Um, and the dancing was completely different. And I remember going in there and I'd never heard music like it. I was like, what the fuck? It so was so different to this higher tempo, like you'd get the odd vocal licking off in the main room, but it was like, if anyone knows, like that club was like, before like a club called Peach like took off, which was like Friday night at Camden Palace, Peach is (laughs) down quite hard, everyone's having it large. It's not anywhere like what I was into. So, but like going back to the satellite club, I've never heard a room like that. Never heard music like that. I'm in this room, then I see the DJ and I'm like, who the fuck's this D? Never seen a DJ like him again. This guy's like, looked like apollo creed from rocky like his arms everything like just ripped like a specimen of a man and he had like a waistcoat on like flashing and it was trouble and like bandana on and it obviously like his physique and just his aura first of all the music hits you then you see like because i was a kid when i was younger i used to love to go to the dj booth and hang over it like that and look at them you know i mean look what they're doing i spent hours as that youngster just like Half of the time I might have been spangled, but I genuinely watching them, just studying like what they're doing with them. Because mixers in them days, they're like dinosaur mixers, man. man. So I'd to watch a man how they... And it was vinyl as well, There's no CDJs and that. So I just just love to study him. So I remember I was waking my way towards the DJ booth and you see him and you're like, who the fuck's this guy? And um, he then the music hits you first, then his aura, then the dance moves. Because I'd never seen a DJ dancing like this, like, trouble. He's like spinning around at million miles an hour doing mad <laughs> dances. And I remember someone was like, yeah, that's Paul Trouble Anderson. And obviously you know the name, like you think you know the name, you know because I've collected flyers as a kid. But that was the first time I'd ever seen him. And in that room, um, it was, like I said, it was a side room to Satellite Club, which was in the Coliseum. And that room was like the residence of Bobby and Steve. So you'd have like Paul Trouble Anderson playing in there. And even Seamus Hadji, who's like quite a big name. Yeah, yeah. Playing that kind of music then, Seamus. And I'm trying to think who else. I can't think who else. Maybe Chrissy T, but I remember... Then every week when I'd go back to this club, eventually me and the people I'd go to this club and forget not naming names of what we were doing, we got banned from this club. So I could never go back to But And I used to get sometimes told off for going in this side room. Because in this room, again, without saying the reasons, it wasn't about anything but music. Yep. Not about drugs or drink or... It was straight... And that's something that... It was weird. I remember I walked in there. I'd never seen anything like it. And I've been to like raves and parties and I was probably like 17 at this time. Right? So from then, obviously, then you... Like, because I was collecting records then. I was a d- little DJ doing all my little house parties and pirates. So then that's when I changed as a DJ because I was going into record shops and asking for them tunes. Like that 10 City record, that Trouble's playing, or Bobby, D, Emma, like, moment of my life. then 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 that was like a big trouble. I remember it was one of the tracks I first heard him play in there and I'd never heard anything like it in there. So then from there, I started going to places like, trying to go to like Garage City and around these other places. Um, so Paul, that's the first time I saw Paul. And then, um, obviously, it wasn't until probably like, maybe 10 years after that, fast forward 10 years, that I played my first gig with him. Because basically, Paul was the person that gave Neil Pierce his break. So Neil, like in the Loft days when Trouble ran a legend in Loft, Jeremy Newell was his resident. Then he gave Neil a big break. Neil was the work at like record shop, released the groove and stuff like that, kind of put him in the game when he was younger. But what really put him in the game was Trouble. You know, because if, if Paul's bringing you on as his resident in them days, that's like the biggest like watermark stamp certification that you can have, do you know what I mean, from the big man. So he brought Neil on, so... Um, you know, years later, I remember the first gig I ever did with Trouble. I, was, they, I said to me, i got Neil said, oh, I'm going to try and get you Troubles doing a big party in London. And I was asking me about warm up DJs to play. And the thing is, like, this is another thing I say to the youngsters who are like watching and listening around out there. It might be different in like different types of house or other genres, but sometimes like knowing how to warm up or how to play early sets is something that can be so important for you learning how to DJ and really finding yourself as a DJ. Because it's the time, but where I come from, it's not about just having one gig, going on and playing all the bangers and just going, bam, bam, bam. And you know what, as a youngster, and this is how I got... It's weird, because I still tell people, I feel like i got more of a reputation as a warm-up DJ than I did as someone who can go and play a main set and and still bad up a club. i got more shine from people like Paul, even some of the Americans that would give me compliments when I play with them because they respect, and I do, I look at younger people now, even like with Jalen, Jalen's like, it. he knows how to warm up. If he's playing before you, he knows what to do. He ain't going bang, 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 and playing all the big tracks that everyone was, he leaves room. He waits till he comes on later to take it up. So for me, it's something that really um, looks good for you, being able to show that you know how to set the tone in a club. Imagine- it's...
0: It's an, important part, craft, it's an yeah, really it's important part of the craft, mate. It's an important part of the craft, right.
1: mate. And people don't learn that now. It's just like, you know, when I've done that, for example, when I got in there to do that, got in there. And um, again, I'm not going to name names, but like these people, like, um, th- there's a rotary mixer and Trouble doesn't use rotaries. He likes to use crossfader. So they had a rotary, a big Uri, triple track Uri. And then like the pioneer, I think it was Alan and Heath in there that had the crossfader so I was like oh I'm going to jump on the rotary they are like because I was a little bit younger they said no 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 this rotary belongs to so and so I'm not going to know this person's touched it this person's had his hands on the knob what do you know how to use it do you and I'm like yeah yeah, I've used them before. Don't worry. Are you sure? Well, Trouble's using Alan Heath. Why don't you just crack on and out? And I'm like, to be honest, I hate Alan Heath mixers. I think they're terrible. Alan and grief, I call them. So I was like, no, you know, I want to use the rotor. Right anyway, in the end, he lets me use the rotor. Right Trouble ended up coming over and saying, listen, if he wants to use it, let him use it. And they're like, all right, okay, go on and you can use it, but don't fucking break it. Tony Humphries has touched this. Fucking um, Frankie mixes. name, all these names of people that touched this and it's Anyone that knows, the Yuri is like probably the granddaddy of the, the rotary mixers, yeah. Where, meaning that it's knobs rather than faders and sliders, right? So anyway, I go on and start playing. And then I literally put the first record, I look up and the whole place is just packed of people because they're all there because it's Troubles. I think it might have even been his birthday or something. I can't remember what it was. And who else was playing? I think DJ Disciple might have been playing, actually. I think it was. So it was a big thing. So people come from early and when in Troubles party, you've got like proper soulful house, jazz dancers there so it's like coming in what you got and i remember i was playing and he wanted me to warm up for two hours so i got there at like 9 30 starting at 10 to 12 so i'm like nah, getting there and then and it's just wicked it was one that i still remember the set it was an amazing set and then about 12 o'clock um like the clubs like and i hadn't gone like where i really wanted to because obviously i'm still warming up so i was just taking it up there and then um he kept saying play on play on just keep playing so I was playing for maybe like two and a half, three hours before the time, the time I, before he came on. And that's another thing I always rate, you know, is like, people like them, it was nothing to do with ego, with people like Trouble. Even though people might say that, oh, well, look at him though, he was so flamboyant, the old showman guy wore a belt with his name flashing on it, how can you say? But it wasn't nothing to do with ego with him, do you know what I mean? It was purely to do with music, mate, and the energy between playing music and the people and dancing. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it was like you know that was my first ever gig I did with him. I've got a picture of us together. Actually, I'll dig it out. I'll show it to you. And I think the- one
0: of my favourite pictures is the one uh, of you two with a birthday cake. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because yeah. <laughs> so for years, for years after that. So then, from that point, then when I actually had my first gig of him, again, I'm so blessed. Even talking about it is quite overwhelming because, <clears throat> like, like I said, leading up got like when he passed um, that year the two three summers before i was going to a lot of places with him to IBFA, like i said we're traveling to croatia italy these places and this is a time when this man was seriously ill do you know what i mean like he was dying of cancer he was like and the only thing that was really keeping his alive was still this passion for music and it's weird like you know anyone watching this now that's experienced it that i have as well a family member when you see a male family member whether it's your dad or granddad or big brother that's been this strong iron, unbreakable person and this fucking cancer illness gets hold of him and you see someone deteriorate down to not being that strong. Do you know what I mean? It's it's, it's fucked up to see that shit. Do you know what I mean? But nothing stopped him. He still carried on playing. And sometimes I'd say to him, oh, and I, I didn't know how to say things to him because obviously he's like, like a dad to me. So I'd be like, oh, poor man, maybe we should take it easy, get an early night. I'd be like, listen, I'm not stopping to do the things that I love in life. Like, If I stop doing what I love, going for a walk on the beach with you late at night, then, and I'm letting it beat me. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, wow. This guy's like, I'm. I know I'm sort of diverting off the story, but
0: no, no, it's true. And I think it's um, it's one of them things where it's sort of like, if if you know um, if you know your situation is is that bad um, you don't. I think that it's hard to put yourself in that mindset without ever having experienced it. And I can relate to what you were saying because last year my dad was ill and he was on a ventilator and stuff. And I-, I can I can relate to that aspect of it. But I think with someone in his position, you don't ever want to quit doing that stuff, especially if you know you're coming towards the end of your life because what's the point otherwise? Why-, why am I bothering trying to fight this thing? I might as well just quit and roll over. You that's know, fact, so what that, he was saying, yeah. yeah So he was that attitude there, it, it's, it, it, I mean, it speaks to a strong person, but I think it's, I think it's a hundred percent, you know, correct. I think that's the only way to live life.
1: Yeah. I mean, he was like, from that point where I played in Herbal for him for the first times so I went off and just done so many different gigs with him. And again, because I was like part of my soul radio as well, I still am. He was like a big integral part of that. So when we did different events with like my soul and stuff, he would, um, Sorry, this light's doing my nothing, man. I'm trying to. Sorry, no, that's not... So, yeah, he, um, I would go, like I said, a lot of places with him. So, Evan used to book him a lot. So, I'd gone all over, um, with him to places. But one of the ones that stands out is what you said. It was actually my 30th birthday because we shared our birthdays are two days apart. So, um, often, like, we went down to do this big, like, one of the biggest promotions in Bournemouth, was used to be, well, it's called God Made Me Funky. And they're not doing it anymore, but it used to be called that. We went down, and it was their birthday, like their ten, 10 year anniversary. So it was my 30th. Um, I think, I, can't remember, I don't think it was Trouble's 50th, but it was, can't remember anyway. But they made a cake, like what you said. But on that day, we went out first on like a double decker, this massive double decker boat all around Pool Harbour, played, right? And me and Trouble were the guests. And then we went to this like big, like old hotel where they did this other event. And the way I saw, that was the first time I'd gone on the road with with trouble properly and seeing the way all these people like from out of London because you know like in London when you come from London you're a little bit you get a bit like narrow-minded sometimes you know what I mean and then we all know how much he loved him whenever I come out and I saw how much they loved him and the, that you know it was mad like to see like he had proper celebrity like superstar DJ status like wherever he went and people would come up and yeah they made us a special cake that kind of blew me away and I mean they kind of made it for me because it was my birthday as well but it's really for him and it was two techniques and a mixer made out of and I know it was proper funny I think one of the promoters they must have like put flipping a load of hash in the mixer in it the, the mixer it was like a little made to fade mixer <laughs> the hash cake and I remember um. someone who never smoked weed or anything in their life basically ate this cake and was in a bad way man like in the corner fucking yeah so um yeah, never eat a cake that's shaped as a Dex and a Mixer, man, without asking first. But yeah, from then I would go around all places with him and yeah, it's very influential. It's really hard to just speak about Paul. Basically, put it this way, Paul was like this person that was, um, if it wasn't for Paul, like, I wouldn't even be sitting here talking to you, mm. basically. So I know like how you're saying how influential Pirate Radio was on like people like far forward like 30 years and look at Stormzy and people like that look at like the forefront of dance, even pop culture, you can say, it affected that much. Paul was like that for us, for house music, yeah. and for the Americans, and they'll all tell you that. Like at Paul's funeral, they were all giving testimonies, like whether it's Byron Stingley, come on, get up, everybody. Like, that record would never have gone into the charts if it wasn't for Paul back in them days. Um, all the big Master Work records, like he literally, all them early big records, he broke them. They weren't getting broken in America, because America didn't give a shit about how I did care about house music in Studio 54 Paradise Garage or in a shelter in tiny little pockets. But the main thing in house music in America was hip-hop or country music or whatever shit they listened to in that place. <laughs> yeah. So basically that was the biggest thing. They don't, you know, in order for these big people now who are multi-millionaires, yeah, like the people I'm just naming, they, their music had to break in London first, you know. What I mean in Europe first. It's like you know, they're not getting paid the same DJ gigs in new york or america than they would when they come to london so and it was paul was the person that opened all that and this is why i mean i say it on the podcast and stuff and <clears throat> it's like i watched every single history of house documentary that has ever been made before the internet came about before fucking youtube any of that and since youtube's been gone on i watch it because i study what we do i'm a, like a, a pupil of this thing do you know what i mean still i'm still learning and I when I watch that, it disgusts me like that. Not one of these programs ever talk about this man and what his influence. And I'm, again, I'm not gonna name names, but I don't need to because anyone that's seen it, there's the same story. It's like I'm not gonna go religious with it, but it's the same story that they basically all the time this one went to IB for bought House Music back to London it's like it's, yeah, it's of,
0: always the same four or five names that get mentioned same then. narrative
1: all right, that is true bits of what they did but they never it is talk of it, but
0: I'll people. also I'll also say something that you probably won't think is controversial but some people yeah. might they're all white faces as well that, that and that's that for me that's always something that i've noticed where it's like yeah there's a, there's a little bit of of washing of history there do you know what i mean and yeah yeah it, it, it's, it's something well,
1: there is there is there is like there is the, yeah i know you know, It isn't the mostly white faces i mean there is like yeah bar, bar one or two but again the story just like it just gets confused along the way it's like most history again without going like too controversial or religious or political or historical it's like it's the history. Even the history they teach our children in school is a load of bollocks. So, would yeah. be surprised that the history of house music gets construed like it's confused in the way it does um, along the way. But um, a lot of people don't even, even understand the origins
0: have... of it, so they they don't even realise about where it actually. I mean, you mentioned the, the clubs in America where where it first gained popularity. They they yeah. don't understand the scene of where it came from, and you know, it's it was it was a, a predominantly uh gay scene run by minorities like it was their parties yeah. do you know what i mean that's where the vibe came from and came out of disco and everything else so, so. yeah I, th- I, th- I think it's um again and again i'll <sighs> go back to it it's something that i i enjoy talking about and i, and I hope gets more of a, an educational message across the more i do these podcasts is to, to look yeah. at the roots of this thing and just be like you know where did where did this thing that we all love so much actually come from even the people as you say there's ramifications on the pop music scene. A lot of pop music is commercial dance music, really. Um, And where did that all come from? (laughs) You know, like again, again, if it wasn't for people like Paul and what he did, you know, in the kiss FM days, early days and whatever, and breaking a lot of these records, then, you know, I, I, I wonder what it would be like. Would we be like America with, as you say, they've got country music one side, hip hop the other, and fuck all yeah. in between? Like yeah. would we would we be similar? I, I don't know, but it's it's an interesting conversation to have. But mate, um I'm really happy that you know you are actually able to sit here and share the stories like that, man. It's it, I appreciate you doing it because no worries, you know, man. Um and also, you know, to touch on you know <laughs> something that gutted me when I heard it was the, the recent passing of the flash um phil Phil asher um yeah yeah. i mean for me restless soul um i know the biggest track probably i don't know if it was the biggest but one of the ones that got known by more people outside of house music was probably tricks and that for me is still like i still play that now like if i'm playing a house set like yeah oh
1: oh,
0: bro what a record but um your relation i've seen you post a lot recently about about Phil and just some of your experiences the, the one yeah. in in Italy I found like really cool just to, just to read what you wrote there um, yeah, yeah, yeah what was your relationship like with him and, and, and how did you get to know him coming up
1: again like similar to Paul man like it's, it's, it's difficult talking about it in a way because they're two like apart from Neil they're like the two really, really important people Phil more like Paul kind of like just as how like we explained and he was like the DJ's DJ he set the path for us all and Paul was also, like, you know, very fierce when it comes to, like, us getting mugged off by promoters and all these, the way that whole side of it is. But Phil was more, um, like, someone who became, again, very, very close to me, like, I spoke to quite a lot, like a big brother to me, basically. But he taught me a lot about to do with production because he was, when I first met Aaron and Neil, that's how I met Phil. But I knew Phil for years because I'm buying his records. Like you say, Rest of Soul, Phil Black and Spanish. He was Black and Spanish with Orin. Bugs in the attic, um, making all them sort of like garagey tracks back in the day. So, we, obviously, you know Phil Asher, but um, didn't know him personally. And then when I started working with Neil and Aaron, Aaron was not only part of Fanatics, he was like quite an integral member of Rest of Soul. So, Rest of Soul is like a whole clique of them. Yeah. So, you've got like Jose Coretta, you've got like Luke, Carty, HHA, all them boys in there, right? So, um, yeah. And it feels like the the, 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 the leader, the leader of Rest of the Soul. But Phil, um, so yeah, how I got to meet him again was like through Aaron because I'll be sitting in studios a lot of the time. And I was really fascinated about um, becoming a drum programmer and learning the MPC. And these guys were all working on MPCs. Anyone that knows, knows what that is? It's like a it's a drum machine made by Akai, made famous by people like Dr. Dre, J. Dilla. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> they had them. So I was like trying to learn that, you know. It feels like one of these people like... If he saw you and he took a shine to you and he could see that you were in it for the real reason and you wanted to learn and he would just help you. And that's again where I get that. The reason why I'm very passionate about helping up and comings and supporting people is I do get it. First of all, I get it from my own dad, how I've been brought up in life, but then to come into the music industry and be under the wing of people like Neil, Paul and Phil who are very much helpers and empower us and helping people, do you know what I mean? So, um, Phil, I just, like, literally I spent a lot of time with Phil going back and forth from his studio. It's helped me a lot, learning how to um, use the MPC. Um, and just someone that, like, proper gave me my first samples. He was the sort of person would load you up with samples and, and then say, right, off you go. And then, like, just help, just, just someone that was constantly there helping you all the time, you know, and trying to... Um, like, he was almost... He saw like something in me that I didn't even see in myself, you know, he's one of those people. Like, and um, he pushed me into like becoming a producer, doing this, doing that, when maybe sometimes I didn't even think I could do what I did, you know? he signed a couple of tracks um, from me when I was like aphrodisiacs with Gavin. So yeah, we became like, you know, very close. I wouldn't know a lot of people in the industry if it wasn't for Phil. Phil was like the original like gate opener and link man to a lot of people like that whole broken beat scene that grew out of West London, the whole bugs in the attic thing. And that was all orchestrated by Phil, all brought together um, by him. So that is sick. Um, from our scene is like, now we're going to come back out of the worst time in humanity that we know, not maybe the worst time in humanity, but for our lifetimes and even our parents and maybe even, well, some of them lived through the war. So you could probably say the war is fucking worse than that. But.
0: I think it is the worst time post-war like, that we've had to deal yeah. with. Definitely,
1: but like coming out of the back of that, like you know, you're seeing everyone's getting gas now because like, and it's amazing. Like you know, we're getting festival announcements coming, bookings are coming back in, so the scenes, everything's start, everything's gonna start to come back. What I'm like, been thinking about a lot is like in our scene where we come from, especially in London and everything that you're touching on. Two of the main pillars of foundation, like the two. RSJs or whatever you want to call them, were ripped out in Paul, and now in Phil. Do you know what I mean? So it's like it's a now time for you know a lot of people to be, in me included, for us to really step up because now is the thing that another thing that's frustrating. Like when one of your friends, like Phil and Paul, dies, is obviously the likes of you, me, and everyone that we all know the legendary status they got. But sometimes on the broader, um, the broader like. Looking at it like looking at the bigger picture, like going out to like the commercial side of things, whether it's magazines, news programs, I was saying documentaries, they've never been celebrated, they've never been given their flowers while they've been here. Basically, do you know what I mean? It's it's taken them, they have in a way, people could disagree with me about that, but it's taken them for them to die for then all of a sudden to get praise from. And again, I'm not going to name names, but certain brands and organizations that are the top echelons of like now dance music, let alone house music, they never shouted about them when they was alive. They never told you about the amazing catalogue. Phil Asher has got a catalogue as good, if not better, than any other UK house producer. Not just no, a soulful house producer. Like, go and tell me something. Else. Someone go, oh, what about Joe Negro, Dave Lee? Again, catalogue as big as anything, but look at Phil's as well. And it hasn't been really fully, it's him for him to die for people to come out. And the reason why, and this is a, another thing that, again, I'm a bit of a pupil from the, the School of Trouble, when he was fierce against things like this, it's like, um, like they never shouted about like them when they was doing what they were doing. Like it takes you to die. For you to die, all of a sudden, the reason why they shout about it is because it becomes on trend. You see what it's like when Paul passed and when Phil died. In our world, in the whole household, internationally, it takes over social media for a couple of days. Mm. Just all the hashtag trending, the whole Things popping off, and all of a sudden you're seeing these massive figures, people coming up, and obviously everybody wants to say rest in peace and say what they're saying, but you know the real ones know. Like some of us, they, we didn't get their shine. Um, like I'm again, I don't want to name names and say, oh, if this one died tomorrow, if that one died tomorrow, because I don't want to put my mouth on things like that. But like, I've seen it with my friends; like they've had to die, and all of a sudden I'm seeing people coming out talking about them like they're the Messiah. And you're like, but you never did that when they was alive, not once. And it's proven that you didn't do it once. And now all of a sudden it took man to die for you to say, oh my God, did you? It's just like, that's the kind of way it's gone to now, you know?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm kind of... I'm someone that gets riled up at things like that myself. And I, I remember when Frankie Knuckles passed away and I was, it, it's one of them crazy things where I saw some people were, were posting things and blah, 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 But then I saw other people like, who was Frankie Knuckles? And I'm like,
1: <laughs> oh. Is he a boxer? Is he Yeah, Frankie Knuckles, mate. Sounds
0: like a fucking character from Lockstock or something. Do you know what I mean? But, <laughs> <laughs> silly, yeah. but no, yeah, it's, it's something that bugs me where I'm just like, and, you, you know, again, like I remember... As I say, I remember when, when MK came back on the scene and and ev- everyone was saying, "Oh, who's this guy?" And I'm like, he made some yeah, of the most. Yeah, everyone
1: thought like Jamie Jones put MK in the game and stuff like that, and mate. And
0: like... he, he made some of the most seminal house records like early on, you know, with like coming off the back of like his relationship with with Kevin Solderson and whatnot. And it's like the, the guy when he was like, I think he was at like, 18 when he made Burning, bruv. Like, yeah, yeah, he was. He was well young, seven, that's, eight. That's, bananas yeah. and I, and i actually i haven't spoken to him for a couple of years but i remember when he first started coming back around that he wasn't quite as superstar as he is now i spoke yeah. to him a few times um Along the way, I was actually the first DJ to have a copy of that. Look right through that went to number one. Um, right. Just because wow. I, just because I badgered him and badgered him, he said only a couple <laughs> of people have got it. Him, yeah. Jamie Jones, he hadn't even given it to Defected at that time. Wow! No, I was one of the only ones that. that because it was it the to. dub
1: mix that went to number
0: one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a it was a third dub oh, mix as well because he'd done three. Yeah, mixes the third all. dub
1: mix. That's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but I remember I chatting have... to
0: him, and and I w- I was like. Because he was there. We we went to see him at ministry and it was like his first ever proper gig at a big rave. He'd never done one wow. before. And and defected had booked him. And he was standing next to me at the bar with Elena, um, the vocalist. She actually sung it's Burning. Always, that night. Yeah, so always, um like that. And yeah, I've spoken to her a few times since so she's really cool, but I remember messaging him. I was like, bro, like you were standing right next to me, but I didn't kind of want to like encroach on the space. He's like, nah, Jay's like next time, like, just come up to me, blah, blah, blah. And he was really cool. And I was thinking yeah. this guy's a legend. He's that humble. He's that polite. And there's people out there asking me who the hell he is. And then the next thing they're posting that meme of the geezer dancing to his song at the car. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the fella that's like dancing in the street and they don't, and it doesn't compute. they all think they know him. I know, it's crazy. Uh, It doesn't compute. And and people don't, as you say, you know, and it's a thing with Phil where people don't, understand like the levels that these guys and the energy and the the blood sweat and the tears as you say that these people put in and i just again a heart back to it it's something I really hope comes out of not just this episode but the rest of the podcast that I'm hoping to put together as well you know I'm I really hope that we can open a few eyes and and you know share the experience and, and everything that's gone on but also give people a bit of an education you know
1: yeah no definitely man It's good to talk about it for real because it's like those sort of people, especially Paul and Phil, they would definitely want this, like little bits of information and stories to get passed down. And because they were teachers as well at the end of the day, you know. So um yeah, it's good to talk about
0: it, man. I mentioned that um that post that you that you mentioned about with, with the picture of uh, of Phil kind of just chilling there in the background. I think was wow. it in was it in Rome? What was what was the story for anyone who hasn't got <laughs> are you on the socials and that? What was the story yeah. behind that? Because I, I had a little um, I had a little chuckle at the idea of like a really early kind of midday like not a dead yeah. set, but you know them sets where you're kind of struggling to it's that's what it sounded like to me. It was one of them sets where you, you weren't really on it, but having someone like that there
1: sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. sort
0: of made you enjoy, what was the what was the deal with that
1: well it was in a big festival that we used to do called ipm rome is ipm rome and it was like over three or four days and like the main centerpiece was this uh pool party that would start at like fucking 11 a.m right and go on to like midnight and then everyone would go off and like eat in between or whatever and then it would go off into like the clubs and stuff so all djs in our scene, like the biggest people would play there and I knew I was going to be doing three days later on the beach, one of the after parties of the night. But when I got the the, the the timings for that day, I was playing like the second set. So like the Italians were like doing the first two hours that I was coming on. And I remember I was having a little moan about it. He going, oh man, I'm playing too early. He goes, oh, don't listen son, mate. It'll be rammed by the time you come off. Don't worry, he goes, you don't know what they're like over here. And obviously he's well thoroughbred playing through Italy. I'd only been playing in Italy for like a few years by then. And um, like Neil and that was all playing over there. Um, yeah there's only representing England there was probably like me Neil Phil um, maybe like Joe Negro would go but then you'd have like all of the big boys over there from like fucking Louis to like all of them like even Timmy Regis for the night used to play um, even Martin Solveig this festival was crazy it wasn't just I remember one of the sickest sets I ever saw listen to this right that same time I went just give an idea what this festival was like one of the night parties he went to this like this terrace plateau the backdrop was the coliseum bruv I'm not joking you, you could have a piss against the Colosseum if you wanted to and then basically tony humphreys played right and tony's like god in italy yeah so tony humphreys played up like two three hours on this outdoor italian the most beautiful thing you've ever seen one evening everyone's like floating around drinking wine eating food yeah i'm walking around bunning fucking cocktails and all that yeah and um then Black Coffee's gonna play. And Black Coffee wasn't as like massive as he was now. It was just like after he'd done Superman, but he was huge still. And um, I was watching, I remember I was having a little chat with him before he went on, and I thought, how the fuck what's he gonna do after Tony? Because Tony was playing like straight house, like yep. into his like, bit of New Jersey garagey, bit more into the bangy stuff. But and obviously we all know how coffee's gonna play. And the Italians hadn't really got a taste of like proper Italian house. They're all on it now, but this was like back then. So anyway, but he came on and just like done a madness just decimated the place but going back to that so that one of the i was featuring at the pool party in the in the, in the day early so Phil feels like don't worry man like don't worry son i'll be there to see you and i was like really what you're going to come watch me that early at one o'clock? don't worry by the time you come off it'll be rammed and uh, he said don't worry i'll come and have a, like a little espresso in the morning next to you and he was there like when i turned up i got there but when i got there it was only like a few hundred people like milling around by the pool or whatever and um yeah it was so funny because you see that picture of me and i'm like looking over like that onto the cdj that day like it was so hot in rome that i couldn't see that what like anything what i was selecting on the cdj and that was the day that i changed i had plastic like tdk usb sticks i had a pink one like fuck knows why and a blue one i'll never forget the sun melted it. after that i went to take it out and it just melted so when I went to take it out, the plastic came out and the USB stayed in the thing. And this Italian sound engineer said, oh, this is where you have to have the the, the metal USB, the metal. I'm like, what? Metal USB? He's never seen it. He goes, you play internationally to melt in the sun. And I was like, right. And he had to get a pair of fucking tweezers like that and take my USB out of the thing. Jesus. In that picture, when Phil, you can see Phil's like biting his nails like that, Just see it. He's like sitting there like that. and He's got his coffee next to him. And um, I don't know, there must have been something I was doing there that he was thinking about. I don't know, I might have been doing an obscure loop or something like that. Because he had one of them, you know, when they say a picture captures a thousand words or whatever, there was that sort of like look that Phil would give when he was like deep in thought, chewing on one of his nails. But again, like I said, I never took, that's like one of my idols who became a friend, but then he's actually turned out for me. You're talking about 2013 this was, but I'd known him for like years before that. But to still to turn out. That's what he was like. You know what I mean? He told me the night before that where I'll be there in the morning. No one else fucking came early doors in the morning. There was none of my other friends there watching me. He he turned up and and went, you know? And again, it's like you need to know that always as a DJ, never get negative about whatever time you're playing, unless you're getting proper mugged off by a promoter, but just take your chance. And when you take your chance, like that morning, like I did. You know, I was hyped because I was in Italy. I wanted to go smash down, but I couldn't because it was still I was playing two hours. They always make you play two hours minimum in Italy. So I mean in London, all these promoters, if you're watching now, making a DJ play an hour, is a fucking waste of time, mate. Seriously. It's the only place well like it's even gone less than an hour now. You get I get booked to play for half an hour, get promoted. Say, you do it for half the money, it's like no. <laughs> I actually play for the same money for two hours. And they get confused about that. They don't realise it, you know. It's, they watch- no, it's
0: not necessarily about pounds per minute. It's it's a case of like you're performing. It's a performance. Like it's a performance art. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, if you're if you're serious about your craft. You're coming to put on a set to entertain people. You're getting what you're paying yeah. for. It ain't about like you can come in in half an hour, bruv. If I'm playing proper house music and I'm and I'm warming into it, I've only played like five six, tunes. yeah five or six tunes in the first half an hour just to warm up my <laughs> set, bruv. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It ain't garage right. where I'm coming in and and dropping this, dropping that, dropping this, dropping that. Yeah, you know, thirty second clips like yeah no i get it Uh, i i I just wanted um to hear the full story of that though man because it's just it it, but that's that is really cool that someone again you know you someone you look up to becomes a peer and they actually put in the effort to 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 not just not just be someone that's around you but also so genuine support as well which it's not it's not common bruv it really is not common like in any Mm. scene it's not just and i've i've flirted in between different genres and that and been on bear stations and worked with bear different promotions and that it's not it's not common it really isn't and that's it's great to hear and you know rest in peace flash it was yeah no
1: was, definitely man
0: i couldn't believe it when i heard it i remember i, I went on twitter and a couple of people were talking about it. i was like nah nah not nah
1: no like you know like oh, no, it, was, it was very sad And obviously again like with the greatest respect of feels but like, i know his family well like his son i know his son marvin <coughs> he's 20 years old and like he died suddenly it wasn't like you know with paul paul had been ill for years we would watched him like i said like again for all the greatest respect paul had fought against cancer like more than most men would ever be able to stand up against you know he had like parts of his ribs and lungs and all sorts of all sorts of treatment in the world whereas phil he wasn't ill he just went to sleep one night and had a heart attack in his sleep and that again it's kind of like the last conversation i had of him was only about a few days before it went we talking about my label, and I was saying that I was scared to like launch my label, and I'm not scared, but I was just saying I'm a bit dubious at this time during lockdown because it's like you know how's the music going? And he's just like, "Fuck it, son, just get the music out of there. If it's got good, you got good songs, like with the thing with Raph, like people tap into it. and You're buzzing about. it. You say to me, look, if you're buzzing about it, like if you're getting a bit of goosebumps from what you're doing, then let's hope that the people that you're putting out to will feel the same, feel you do. So sometimes you need to hear that, like. I don't listen. I don't listen to no one. People who know me well, I don't listen to, to take advice from people. I just do what I'm doing. I've always done that. But there is the odd person, like I say, these characters have been talking to a like lot. If I do. They say something to me, I do listen to them because they're people that are guiding me through, and also people are doing it with a genuine heart. There's a lot of people in this industry that will tell you to do things because they know it's the wrong thing for you to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's people that will deliberately block you like that. You're absolutely right. And yeah, yeah like you say, when, when, you, when you listen to
1: them, I wouldn't be even sitting in now talking to you. No know, amount of people that told me the stuff to do, I'll leave soul heaven. Leave. Stop playing soulful house. You know you need to jump on this minimal tech house thing. This all dead. But look at them all now. Three years later, now you got all these fucking tech house minimal DJs used to be. And I don't want to sound like I'm being negative, but you're all now playing disco or something. And now, now you don't play. You're not true to your sound. They're like wagonists, what I call them. They're these yeah. DJs, wherever the hot sound is in London, they'll play. You know, like two years ago, you're playing minimal tech house. Now all of a sudden, you're playing disco. But used yeah. to. what i was doing was dead and buried
0: at the time yeah someone mentioned that to me i I was having a conversation with an old dj mate recently and they were saying to me oh so because i I was putting up a couple of like disco house sets and they were saying oh so so what is that where you play now and i was like that's what i've always played i've got mixes going back 15 years where i took my i took my dad's records and my dad's cds and i made 80s mixes with the original 12 inches of those yeah. records that are now being remixed. So like, if you go on, um, I've got a SoundCloud page. Um, if, if you just go and type in, so you think you're old school on SoundCloud, there's three mixes on there. And they're the biggest mixes I've ever done. I've never had a reaction like it, but they're the original like Fatback Band, Sister Sledge, um, wow. like all of those records. I was mixing that then and someone said it to me and I was like, nah, I've never, I agree with you. Like I've never jumped on it because it was just a jump on it. Like that for me has always been the sound anyway. Do you know wow. what I mean? But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Like it always this, that always comes back to that. Yeah. It always it, comes the, back the, to the, it. What done me was, was that kind of like techno kind of scene. And I was seeing people that, I was seeing people that I knew that were playing Garage and that all of a sudden they like, they know everything about Ricardo Villalobos or some tech DJ. They're like, oh, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I was like, bruv, you liked EZ last month. Like, I don't, like, <laughs> That now you've got a fucking Hawaiian shirt and you're doing a fist pump,
1: <laughs> you know. Like I mean,
0: everyone, don't get me wrong. That when that it comes to right. like, when it comes to being a fan of something, whatever you yeah. like, you like. That's your business. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, there there has been there has been a lot of that in the last few years. But as no, but each I, to their own, though. Each to their yeah, own. But, but as I mentioned like, to you so earlier, though, like, I, 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 I do mean. think I do think though, as I said to you earlier, I do think there's going to be. I don't know if I could call it like a resurgence of Soulful House or whatever, because it never really left, but. I did notice that when I was going through the charts, I was like, "Raw, like there is a lot more Soulful House charting currently on track source and Beatles yeah. than I've seen in quite a while. So, you know... It could I think be... it's the
1: mood of people as well because I've been studying it. It's like everybody's locked down now. Everybody's in a little bit more of an li- easy listening mood. Like the club bangers just ain't there on track source. Like you say, you're not seeing what you'd normally see because it's not a DJ. It's still a DJ's market, but it's not a, like active DJ's market. It's people doing like... You know, that's why I think it's a good time to be experimental with music. That's why, to be honest, I'm releasing more of the soulful stuff on my label first. That's why I jumped Wes's track to number two, because it's quite soulful and chilled.
0: Um, um, You've done the other mix of the latest record as well, right? The more stripped back, like the 119 version. Yeah, that's
1: nice. Yeah, the 119 That's that's really nice. Thank you. Yeah. So that was, again, again, because what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to make my label represent me as a person. If you listen to me play, I know we centre around soulful, US, garage or whatever, but I kind of like when I play, I'm um, I don't just stick to one sound. Sometimes I might play a bit more afro-y, a bit more garage housey or whatever it is. Um, I'm not just one dimensional. So I'm trying to make the label look a bit like that. So with the first release Raise You Up, it's like a straight, soulful, sort of classic sounding original with Raph. Then I strip it down, make it a little bit more rootsy, afro-y, like I've got a live percussion on it and stuff like that. And um again, I've took it down to sub 120 BPM, which is if you go to south africa and places like that that's the, the groove of the music it's not like 123 or 124 in them places like the real afro house music is 120 below yeah so um and then there's another mix from a guy called true to life who's doing a lot of remixes for me who's kind of like he's quite big in the garage house or sub genre um, and he's tracked done really well actually it got premiered on we had a world premiere of his mix on kiss fm by sam divine which is, a, you know, it's a big deal. It's like the first track of the label. Um, and again, because he's a bit more garage house, he's a bit more bumpy and skippy. She's got a new show on Kiss and she's done a world premiere. Bit. And it's mad because having someone like her playing the record and Kiss from then, it was like, that was a, a great pe- a piece of marketing. If, if she if
0: she, if she happens to be listening, if she happens to be listening to this, I've got to say, big up Sarah Divine. She'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we go way back with that one. Big up, big up. Big up. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag Sarah Divine. big up. But um, yeah, (laughs) I I did. uh, Yeah, so you got
1: confused, Sarah Devine. Do you do
0: you know what happened with that? Do you have you ever seen the story of that? (sighs) Some geezer, bro, is so funny, right? And it's a running joke between me and my mates. But some geezer was at a festival when he went on either Facebook or Twitter and took a picture of her, and it says, "I am Sam Devine," and then big like LED lights behind her. And the geezers took a picture of her and wrote, "Sarah Devine banging set," right. (laughs) And like we were pissing ourselves for months afterwards. We, like we'd go to raves out of our nut. And I remember going to a Masters at Work gig uh, at Ministry, and there were these girls in in a pub across the road before, and they were talking. And I'd do things like, "Yeah, I'm wearing a Masters at Work t-shirt," and these birds are talking to me, and they're like, "Oh yes, yeah, so you go Ministry." I'm like, "Yeah, I really love men at work. You know that track man down under and all that. Like, I really <laughs> love." That. So we just started taking it, and and just anyone's name was always something different. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So, but then I went to Southport Weekender. And and she was there. She was just, she weren't playing. She was. I think no. Actually, I think it's when she debuted. But she was standing there chatting to a couple of other people that I know. And I walked up to her and I went, "Sarah." Uh, and I'd already been bantering her on Twitter about it. And she oh, just like oh, yeah. we were just like both of us just started laughing <laughs> for about twenty minutes. But yeah, if she does, lucky and big up Sarah Divine. Big um, up Sarah, man. But yeah, no. I heard I heard that it got played on her show, and obviously I saw the video you posted in that. So yeah, it's big, mate. It's big. I'm I'm so again. You know, we've come kind of come full circle, which is which is great. Um. But yeah, I'm, I'm so happy you're doing it. Um and I really I, I can't wait to see what the future holds for it. And I'm yeah, I'm I'm fully on board, mate. I'll be I'll be I'll be buying, listening, streaming, everything. Um before before we finish up, because we've, we've we've gone quite long, it's been it's been uh it, see what the thing is with these podcasts, it goes so quick. Of
1: course,
0: man. I don't even realize um before we finish up, we did sort of start the show, mention that the new bookings are coming through and stuff, and yeah, things are going on. What, what's um, what's already lined
1: up for you this summer? Um, so there's like gonna start. Um, so let me just try and have a look at what I've got down here. I've just
0: seen, I did just see on your Instagram before we went on, there's that uh, there's a thing in the woods, and that looks yeah, mental the forbidden
1: forest. So that's going to be like in um. don't know why I've got no service. So, so yeah, the Forbidden Forest is going to be like, um, I think it's the 4th of September. It's weird because a lot of the bookings I was supposed to be doing, right, they're just now getting get, get moved around all the time. Some of them got moved into this year. Now some of them have been put into next year, like Soul Fusion. I'm going to Portugal um, with a big event called Soul Fusion that I play for in Birmingham quite a lot. They're going to Portugal in the Algarve. <clears throat> that Forbidden Forest thing, that's going to be on the 4th of September um again your two mates mk sam Devine, in the defected tent with low stepper and all them lot then you've got a bow a bow got a tent there ellie's in there ellie cox in there uh, then you've got a DB arena tent where like again people talk about earlier kenny ken nikki black market then you've got a next tent um like that don't know what that is maybe dubstep <laughs> crew cast I don't know who they are. and then you got Soul Evan 10 it's wicked this Forbidden Forest is like a mashup. so you got like Defected, Abode Couple Drum and Bass Couple Dubstep then you got like Us Soul Heaven so in me it's like Grant Nelson me Mighty Mouse uh, Natasha Kitty Cat like and then a few others so um yeah and then also I've got um I'll tell you another good thing, see It's called the She All Dayer, S-H-E All Dayer, That's going to be on the 24th of June. And that's out, like, um, again, I don't even know where it is. It might be Kent somewhere, but out in the countryside. It'll be an outdoor event. Anyone that's looking, that, that's 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 wicked as well. Um, and I'm going to be playing there with people like <coughs> the Journeymen. You know who the Journeymen are? Yeah. Um, who else plays there with me now? Can't think, but, and then I'm going to be doing, in August, like, the 20. was another one I just announced today, 29th of August, which will be on Brighton Beach. Sick. I've got 20s and then a couple of things with Jane. I've got 24th of July that I'm going to be doing something in a club called Orange Yard, so if anyone wants to... That's going to be yeah, literally 24th of July. That's going to be a big one. I'm going to announce the day that. We've got something quite special. That's actually going to be my own event that I'm doing. Um, I'm starting to get into because Raising Records is basically this is how I'm doing Raising Records. So it's a record label, then it's an artist agency as well, and it's an event. So my Raising Parties will be like, and loads uh, no of respect again, not naming names. I'm not just going to be like these other promoters and booking the same old DJs all the time on a roundabout thing. But what I will do is whoever's on my labels is basically going to get booked and that's yeah. it. If they're a DJ, like Wes Wynn, see Wes, Wes is like one of the most underrated DJs on the London So, in my opinion. That's why I've, I tried to help Wes a lot. Got him on board again with Jalen. You helped me, you got me on board with Jalen. Thank you again very much for that. Jalen, I've got to shout out Jalen because he's like, a lot of good, great things, a lot of fucked up shit happened in lockdown but then a lot of great things happened to me and a lot, I met a lot of amazing people as well and he was one of them. He's definitely like, the someone of 24 years old to be out in the scene and doing what he's been doing and growing yeah. a brand during a pandemic. Like he's got a big future ahead of him. You know?
0: Yeah. It's it's one of them ones where Eamon's known him for a little bit. Um, and he said to me, he he rang me up like last summer when, you know, we started to be able to do events again. And he said, look, he'd already been talking to me about Jalen because he was like, look, you two musically would get on like, you know, you yeah. the same sound, blah, blah, blah. You got to meet this kid. He, he's sick. Blah, blah. And, um, and I remember Eamon rang me up one day and he's like, look, he's like, Jalen's talking about like actually booking like a decent, like a proper decent DJ rather than, no disrespect to, to the ends because I know a lot of them guys, but rather than just like guys from the ends, you know what I mean? That, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're decent DJs and that, but he wanted to go in a more, you know a more serious serious direction he said to me who do you think that would do it and i was just like I was like bro i'll just i'll just i'll sign it like as si size the guy like mm-hmm. there's no one there's no one I, I i would trust more to actually be reliable to come and do a good job but also he's a good guy so um and so yeah that was that, that, was that. And, and obviously the fact that you two here off i remember sitting i was i was reading like you put up a post about how good the event was and that and i was like yeah. that's sick like well, that for me yeah. was like I've, I've done that a lot in the past like not it's, it's not a blow in my own trouble thing but I've always like even just in terms of like my day job and stuff I always connect people man I just seem to know oh. like who would work well with who so that's great and yeah I'm looking forward to once things go back to proper normality um Jalen you know he, he knows I'm coming <laughs> he knows I'm coming so um I'll be down there um spinning alongside the pair of you and obviously Wes and Eamon and whoever else is involved at that time but yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to seeing the progression that Wes finally gets to make. Now he's got releases coming. Out. I mean, that "Love's Taken Over" tune was sick. Um, yeah. And yeah, you're right. He has been one of the best DJs around for quite a while. And he used to play. I've done. i know, I'd done one show with him. He used to play on Image Slash Ice Cold when I was on there. Um, and we'd done a show together one time. And he was just just a really cool guy to be around as well. You know. So I'm really happy that he's on board, and and I'm really looking forward to what you guys do together. Um, Definitely. So, yeah, in terms of all the rest of your bookings and that, uh, where can people catch you on the socials to to follow what you're doing?
1: Just at Sysez Says Everywhere, S-Y-S-E-Z, that's Instagram mainly is the main one and obviously Facebook. And then also you can follow my label, which is Raising Records. So I'm everywhere just at Raising Records or SoundCloud.com forward slash Raising Records um, on there. And stick. your
0: radio show, when's your radio show?
1: My radio show is every other Thursday from 9pm on My Soul, um, like syndicate uh, on My House Radio as well. And yeah, so it's every other Thursday. So one Thursday is me and the other Thursday is the legendary Booker T. Oh, sick. Yeah, so we rotate. We've done that for years. I've done that now for like pff, 10 years or more. Like, yeah, I caught,
0: I caught your show, was it this week or last week with, was it Lee? Was it Lee Wilson? Lee Wilson, was Lee Wilson the singer. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, i done a wicked show with him and that was amazing. He's like an incredible singer, songwriter from America. Um, one of the busiest guys that I know as a writer, as a singer. And he, um, I think he was like one of the top, like maybe number four, fourth or fifth vocalist of the year. You know that track do their thing every year. Yeah. Just fucking Grammys in it for the, for the South house. world. So, but he got up there, he done well. Done well and, um, <clears throat> it was great having him on the show it's just like i've been trying to do more content based stuff on my show so it's not just like listen to my radio show it's just me mixing for two hours like no. I invite different djs on to do a guest mix or i might speak to leave for a bit and obviously showcase some of our plummy's music in along the way he's got some incredible music out at the moment um and just like yeah again i interviewed him and i'm talking to a lot of people now because i'm trying to show other artists and not just artists people i listen to the show like what other people are doing during lockdown to stay motivated because we've all been fucked mate yeah and we all need a little bit of advice or guidance or it could be just one little thing that you hear <clears throat> like oh i've been cooking a bit more or oh, i've been working out a bit more or oh, i've been walking a bit more going out on your bike or whatever you hear you know
0: yeah reading's been a big thing for me but obviously uh i'll be putting the books down a little bit and doing a few more of these shows especially given how fun this one's been so i i can't yeah. thank you enough mate for for jumping on um, thank you man and yeah i re- really really appreciate it brother and hopefully when we get back to normal i'll be able to get a little portable mixer and a couple of studio mics and we'll sit down somewhere and yeah. and re- and rehash over you know the progress of the label and stuff and and how yeah, crazy that, how crazy this summer's going to be for a lot of people i think um Definitely. a lot a lot of sore heads and south american supplements
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> thank
0: you very much mate yeah
1: thank you man big up man